0: Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers Podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me as per usual on this quite interesting journey now to say the least. As if the last episode wasn't interesting enough, man, do we go some places in this in this crop of episodes. It is my good friend, Mr. Andy Hanley.
1: Good sir, how the heck are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm here as one of... No, wait. I'm here as 2.5 of the five faces of darkness. (laughs) Because otherwise the maths isn't going to (laughs) work. This... I know we kind
0: of mentioned it in passing last week after we got done talking about Transformers the movie. But man, we talked about a tonal shift, Andy. These episodes talk about a tonal shift in places.
1: Yeah, it's sort of... It's the, the one thing that I kind of remembered from what little I'd seen of season three is that it it takes what the movie does to heart and kind of says, yeah, people want more of that. And I mean, it's kind of interesting when you think about it, because we talked about the production timelines of the film and, you know, when that went into production and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm kind of curious when, Season three got greenlit and went into production because, you know, we, we talked also about the the response to the film and, you know, how they had to add a bit on the end for some audience saying, like, oh, Optimus Prime will come back and all of that stuff. Because this feels like they were very much, this is the trajectory of the show now, like, you know, we're going to be a bit darker and a bit edgier and we're going to shout die a lot because apparently, you know, the film did that. So, you know, let's just carry that on. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, especially compared to season two and all of its sort of goofiness at times, this takes itself, certainly these episodes take themselves far more seriously, perhaps too seriously, one could argue.
0: Yeah, I was thinking on our our bingo card that we've had for seasons one and two, maybe we should just add the
1: word die as part of the bingo card now, because man, do we
0: hear it a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm interested to see how that kind of like pans out as we go through season three. Because obviously, this feels like it's it was a big ticket start to the season, um, in in you know in all sorts of ways. Um, and I'm I'm interested to see whether that carries through throughout the series or whether this is just sort of you know the starting point, and maybe we'll get some more silliness as as time goes on. Exactly, and we should actually make mention of it, in case you haven't figured it out already,
0: people. We are starting Season 3 today, that being the first five episodes, because it's a five-part story, which in itself, Andy, is quite impressive, because we never got a five-parter in the first few seasons, and this story is actually longer than Transformers, the movie that we talked about last time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is pretty... I mean, it is literally feature-length. It's not pretty feature-length, it is actually feature-length. And, yeah, it's sort of... It feels like it could have been two separate stories, I would argue, and it might have worked better as that. And again, like, would be curious to know whether this started out as a bunch of different ideas and some executive like slammed their papers down on the table and said, No, we need to, like, off the back of the film, everybody will be expecting something really big and grand. So we've got to do that again. Um, and, and whether that's how that came about or whether this was always the plan. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's. There's a lot that goes on here. Exactly.
0: And before we go any further, should do a little bit of housekeeping. If you would like to find us on Twitter or Instagram, our username is at StarscreamsPod. You can even drop us an email if you want to. The email being starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. And when it comes to the episodes that we watch and how... The episode numbering that we're following is dictated it is done on the hasbro pulse youtube channel it's a 100 legitimate way to watch the transformers cartoon episodes and as mentioned that dictates what we are covering in each and every podcast sans last week when it was transformers the movie go and listen to that if you haven't already because we had a whale of a time talking about that to say the least but i think andy before we actually get to season three proper today there's actually something else that we should touch on, which I do, I think, based on some of our musings at the end of the last podcast, again talking about Transformers the movie, it kind of sets up another tonal shift, that being more from a visual department, because we need to talk about the animation studio change for season three. It had been Toei Animation that had worked on the first two seasons and the movie. Now we have switched to ACOM Production Company which in itself, it turns out there's uh, some interesting details about this, as we sort of alluded to last week, but I think we felt it was appropriate to actually discuss this now before we get into the episodes, because I imagine, Andy, at times, we're going to be mentioning various things
1: about the animation. Yeah, we sure are. I mean, I'm I'm willing to give... animation of these episodes some rope because hey we've come off the back of the movie which you know as we talked about at the time is visually resplendent (laughs) this these episodes don't really help themselves by starting with the end of the film and animation from it and you're like oh yeah that looked really good and then we click into like season three proper like oh this doesn't look good (laughs) um (laughs) and it's interesting because i feel like when people talk about bad animation the the shorthand that everybody assumes is you're just saying like oh it's just badly drawn and there is a fair amount of that in these episodes like you know there's a lot of off-model characters and you know a lot of of issues of that ilk but this these episodes ironically really made me appreciate the job that toei had been doing in the tv episodes and a more general sense of good shot composition you know and and just actually you know using the visuals to help tell the story and to kind of make things compelling because these episodes are like functional at best visually but there's a lot of really strange shot compositions a lot of really strange kind of blocking of shots um and you know on top of the fact that it just doesn't look as good in general like you know the 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 character animation is nowhere near as good i think the biggest problem it has is that it's just not very well shot. You know, you have too many kind of extreme close-ups or characters that are too far away, or, you know, you just don't get as good a feel for any particular scene as you do with, like, the first couple of seasons. who so, you know, had their own ropey moments, but you always felt like there was a layer of kind of craft and care and attention that went into the the bare basics of, like, let's make sure this looks right to a certain extent. And these episodes do not look right on a regular basis, which is kind of compounded in the end by the fact that. And another thing that I kind of came to appreciate is that the Toei episodes are pretty good at doing like character expressions. Like most of the Transformers only really have two expressions. That's stoic and surprised. Um, But like by the time you get to season three, they just look surprised all the time. Like I, I a few times I just cracked up because everyone's just like open mouth, gulping at each other, like, Oh my god, another robot. And it's just like it's just little things like that that especially having watched it the way we have of week on week, we've gotten so used to a certain level of animation when you suddenly push off to this season and a new studio, it's really, really marked.
0: Yeah, one interesting thing, and I'm sure we'll get onto this as we talk about the episodes, and I'm also interested to see if this changes again at all as we progress through season three, but it's just very dark. Like, these episodes, it's all just very darkly darkly felt, darkly visual, because it's set in space, and there are some brighter moments, but do we actually even aside from, like, the odd bit on Earth here and there, the majority of space versus Earth scenes, it's pretty heavily weighted in favour of space at this point.
2: Mm,
1: yeah, and I think that is probably going to be a pretty consistent thing. Like, not across the board, I don't think, in season three, but I think it certainly... Again, it sort of takes what the movie does to heart of, like, oh, a lot of it is just, like, you know, space adventure once you get into the second half of that film. And it kind of really goes for that as, as the... The the look certainly from what I've seen of season three, like I feel like it's all been out in space and you know interplanetary um, rather than than earth based. But yeah, we, we we do go back there from time to time. I, I know, but uh, but yeah, there, there is certainly that as well. Which space is kind of less interesting to look at than quarries, as it turns out, <laughs> and ravines. We, we, we're already missing the days of Bumblebee falling into a ravine. We we we, we yearn for something. The bumblebee can fall into (laughs) so acom animation
0: korea movie productions is a south korean animation studio owned and founded by nelson shin that name may be familiar to some of you that's because andy correct me if i'm wrong he was the director or animation director of transformers the movie he was, yeah, director and producer, I think, a Transformers movie, or one of the producers. Hmm. Now, according to the TF wiki here, full credit to them for this information I'm about to read, Acom is known for its very um, cost-efficient animation <laughs> and is used frequently for American cartoons. Some shows that Acom have worked on include The Simpsons, Saban's X-Men and Silver Surfer, The Tick, Savage Dragon, Tiny Toon Adventures, Arthur, and Batman the Animated Series. The company was eventually fired from the latter because of their consistently subpar work. (laughs) Now, some more sort of production history, if you will. Since Shin had also happened to be producer of the original Transformers cartoon, Marvel Productions would start using ACOM beginning with Season 2. It's confirmed that Toei Animation animated 39 of the 49 Season 2 episodes, which leaves 10 more episodes that were shared between ACOM and at least two unknown studios. As the three episodes, The Core, The Autobot Run, and City of Steel, which all share the same animation/slash drawing style, hence suggesting they were all done by the same studio, are widely considered to be of the same quality and style of Acom's season three work, it's highly probable that they were done by them, leaving the remaining seven episodes for a mystery studio. Put like that, Andy, remembering the animation of City of Steel, there was some there was some dodgy stuff in that episode.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i think that was like a low point for season two i mean i I remember autobot run having some pretty ropey moments as well um and yeah that that sort of makes sense um but uh, yeah it's kind of I, i hadn't actually realized that they had directly worked on those episodes but certainly some pieces of the jigsaw falling into place there continuing from the tf wiki Due to the rising cost of
0: contracting animation services to Japan, Marvel Productions, like many other US production companies, sought the services of cheaper Korean studios. Thus, ACOM's participation increased dramatically by Season 3, where they produced a total of 16 episodes, at least two of which, Starscream's Ghost and Only Human, had their animation subcontracted out to another studio of the remaining 14, 13 were produced by Toei and one by Sei Young Animation Company Limited. By 1987, Acom was utilised as Marvel's primary animator. The short-lived season 4, the three-part The Rebirth series, which we'll get onto in due course, was then handled entirely by Acom, as well of all of the season 3 and season 4 commercial bumpers and the season 3 title sequences. So suffice to say, Andy. They weren't just involved a little bit. By the end of it, they were doing all of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're certainly the, the primary resource for, for this stuff, which, I mean, the, the the interesting thing is, like, I feel like the opening credits to Season 3 are actually pretty good. They're like, really I quite, good! I, I kind of quite like them. I mean, they're, they're a little bit kind of goofy in places. Like, I, I'm no scientist, but I'm pretty sure you can't drive a car on the rings of Jupiter. I am just mean, I mean, say. I, mean <laughs> I, I realize maybe Transformers think differently, but you know, I, I question that. But yeah, like the season three titles are pretty, are pretty good. Like they're pretty, pretty eye catching. Um, and I'm guessing because I think I've mentioned, yeah, I've talked a lot about Call of the Primitives as a season three episode in the past. I think that was one of the the non Acom episodes because that looks really, really good. Like it's one of the best animated episodes. Um, but yeah, it's uh, certainly I'm i I've now braced for more of this kind of animation style as we go through season three. So, a couple more notes before we get to season three proper, Andy.
0: ACOM, rather noticeably, never got the right colour guides for some reason. <laughs> Many characters have small and large colouring oddities whenever they appear in an ACOM episode. Now, they've got like a big list here of various things, but just to read out a couple for context, Andy... So in Season 2, Devastator retained his colour scheme from heavy metal war, including a purple window on his upper chest, a purple top to his chest plate instead of a green top, and, strangest of all, a green crotch with purple edges. So there's a few things like that. I also note Megatron's gun gun barrel is a dark grey, Optimus Prime's backpack is white instead of red. Inconsistencies like that in Season 2. When it comes to Season 3... Acom frequently used older, outdated designs for some characters. Grimlock shows up with his older, flattened head design, and the characters introduced in Transformers the movie would sometimes appear in their older, pre-production designs, their designs switching in and out from shot to shot. Toei was guilty of this too, but to a far lesser extent, says the TF wiki. Whether drawing the characters in their outdated or finalised designs, Acom always used outdated colour models for several members of the cast, including the movie characters. Consequently, regardless of design, Rodimus always has red shoulder indentations. Galvatron always has... I can't believe I'm about to say this, Andy. Galvatron always has a lavender pelvis... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> cup always has gray boots cyclonus always has thick purple eyebrows and rc always has a gray collar to name just a few pronounced details numerous characters have the inside of their mouths colored in a shade that corresponds to their helmet Ultramagnus' mouth is blue rc's is dark pink springer's is green etc maybe a thought their heads were hollow says the TF wiki
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they do note as a final thing here to acom's credit the animation cell count for the shows was a few frames per second higher thus the episodes they produced appear notably smoother than non acom produced episodes
1: yeah i mean i guess that is true when you mention it but it's when it when it's it, when it's more frames of bad animation i'm not sure that necessarily <laughs> helps but So, that really paints a picture of
0: just the visual tonal shift that we are getting, and like you said, Andy, the first episode, which we are about to go on to, it literally starts with some footage of the movie, and even watching this first episode on Hasbro Pulse, which is like the TV non-restored version of the movie clips, man, is that footage still night and day in some places
1: yeah yeah it, it really is it's uh, it's totally understandable why they feel the need to show the end of that film but in terms of just smacking you around the heads with the wet fish of the animation of these episodes you know it really it really does strike you um and it's one of the interesting like foibles of the the hasbro pulse version of these episodes is you can tell that some of the like um recap bits feel like they've been pulled off like a second generation VHS or something. So clearly some of the original materials weren't kept for these episodes or at least they weren't readily available because there's some very obvious video quality changes on top of that, which uh, maybe compounds some of the issues.
0: In itself, though, that I find is actually a nice little historical element to watching these episodes because you actually get to see how good of a job the remaster is in many ways of these episodes after that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, for, for sure. Like, I'm I'm not quite sure what the source they got those missing bits from, and, you know, clearly nobody could be bothered to splice together those recaps from shot by shot of <laughs> earlier episodes, which I don't really blame them for. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a big difference when you, you get into the episodes proper for these. So, it's time to get on to the first
0: episode of Season 3. That being the five faces of darkness part one an interesting note andy before we get into the story proper though this first episode in america aired on september the 15th 1986 consider that transformers the movie was in cinemas what was it august the 6th 1986 Mm -hmm. so a month and a half ish basically between the movie being in the cinemas and this season airing Compared to some things you see nowadays, that is not a lot of time between a movie and its follow-up season.
1: Yeah, although also in some other ways, you could say that's actually quite a long time when you're trying to sell toys and stuff. Like, again, it makes me intrigued by the production um, timeline, especially, you know, talking about how some of these episodes go shot to shot from, like, older designs of the movie characters versus new ones, because that sort of suggests that this season was in production while the movie was still being produced uh, but then you look at that year gap and you think well maybe it just didn't get greenlit until after the movie was done and dusted and in cinemas so uh, that's quite a kind of intriguing thing to to kind of try and fathom in my head on that note actually having just quickly glanced at the page on the tf wiki
0: full credit once again they note from the production info that the first draft script was submitted on the 4th of march 1986. So that would have been after the movie was already way into production then if memory serves based on what we were discussing last
1: week. Yeah, yeah, that would have been yeah, I guess a long time but yeah, like a little a, a little ways before before it it, it aired. So yeah, that's that's that kind of kind of interesting to me. So The Five Faces of Darkness
0: Part 1. We begin in the throes of action as we see events from the conclusion of Transformers the movie played out where the Autobots escape Unicron, Unicron exploding, and his head then orbiting Cybertron. Then we hear the familiar deep voice narrator that we have come to know and love, Andy, who says the following. It is the year 2005. The Great Wars are finally over. And the Autobots have won. But while the Autobots celebrate their victory with their new leader, Rodimus Prime, the surviving Decepticons, without a leader of their own, are desperately low on Energon, have retreated to the burned-out planet of Char. First thing I thought of when I heard that, Andy?
1: Char Aznabel, the red comet from Gundam. But Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> I, I, did, I did also have that moment. I mean, I, I feel like there's quite a lot of literal planet-naming in here, so I came to realise that no, it's just literally it's a charred planet, and you couldn't be bothered to think <laughs> of something more interesting. I actually hadn't
0: put two and two together on yeah, that. A fair play.
1: Even though you go to like Planet Goo later, you know, it kind of tells <laughs> you everything you need to know.
0: We then cut to said planet of Char. I said sha not Charlie. Go. I got Gundam in my head now. There you go, people. <laughs> We then cut to the planet Char, which very much looks like a desert, Andy, is the first thing I noted down, and then Astro Train comes crashing, comes crashing down Excuse me, through a mountain and somehow lands okay on the surface. But while this is happening, we see the Constructicons are sitting on a ridge noticing his arrival, saying to themselves that they hope he has brought some energon with him upon landing a few cubes fall out of astrotrain and we see the constructicons immediately begin fighting over them and to add insult to injury on this astrotrain is so low on energy he can barely transform enough to extend his arm to actually reach out to grab one of the cubes but then the constructicons combine into devastator kind of and kick astrotrain out of the way Bruticus then appears out of nowhere, strikes down Devastator with a sword, saying, Resist me and be destroyed. Suddenly, Insecticons appear. How? I'm not
1: even going to ask Andy, but how? Cl- clones. Clones is the answer to, <laughs> to this, I'm going to assume, which I mean, yeah, because I, I had that moment as well of like, wait, we saw these guys get turned into like Cyclonus and Scourge and the sweeps, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I guess there is a, if, if there's one character set of characters you can bring back here, at least it's those guys, because like, yeah, thousands of clones could be, you know, maybe it wasn't the originals that got transfer- transformed into new characters.
0: That would mean, then, that the the ability of how long the clones can last for is mental.
1: I mean, maybe (laughs) some unicron magic, I guess, like, (laughs) just made the clones permanent. I don't know.
0: I think we've just found our super-secret way of the get-out-of-jail-free. You know, there's that gag on The Simpsons, I think it's when um, Lucy Lawless, Xena, is doing a convention and someone's asking the question of Now, in episode BF12 you are clearly riding this kind of breed of horse, but in the next scene you are riding a different breed please explain and then she just goes well you know when that happens a wizard did it
1: yeah (laughs) this is our equivalent
0: of that unicron magic that is our equivalent of that now
1: (laughs) yeah i mean there's no proof that unicron isn't a wizard so that works
0: (laughs) (laughs) so the insecticons appear try to grab a cube but are unsuccessful due to cyclonus and the sweeps arriving quote-unquote land my sweeps and beware of treachery says cyclonus he continues once decepticons nearly held a quadrant through terror now we scrap like slags over a few energon cubes is this how you honor the memory of galvatron is this the fate of the mighty decepticon empire astrotrain laments that it wasn't like this when megatron was around prompting cyclonus to emphasize galvatron's name and then in turn the sweep starts shouting hail galvatron and an astrotrain then follows up after some careful thought and just says well they were the same guy
1: <laughs> Which, i yeah i really enjoyed that and uh, i mean you know that does sort of become like a theme that gets touched on like we talked about this in, in the, the podcast last week about like well how does that work in terms of like megatron versus galvatron and That is kind of, like, it's it's an interesting little psychological element that just gets kind of touched on during this episode. Um, But Astro Train just, like, says the quiet part loud of, like, well, they're the same bloke, so (laughs) whatever.
0: (laughs) And the scene concludes with Cyclonus saying they must take desperate measures. This opening scene, Andy, this... I was talking at the end of the podcast last week when it came to to megatron being turned into galvatron and how it really was the lowest point of megatron's entire character to see how far he had fallen and such this is that for the decepticons they cannot get any lower than this arguably they do a bit later in places but we may get to that but the way that this sets the scene of just how
1: far the decepticons have fallen it's actually it kind of makes you feel sorry for them in many ways yeah I mean it it is a really kind of strong starting point because you know having come to the end of the movie and you know it, it feels like it draws a big line like you know like this spark the end of the Cybertronian Wars all of that stuff you're like okay well what happens to the Decepticons and to see them in such a complete mess is kind of like fascinating and a pretty good starting point for this episode I mean you know, bonus points for Cyclonus is probably like MVP of, of at least a good chunk of these episodes. But actually, kind of like keeping things together. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a really it's a really good kind of start point for things to come. And it's it's a pretty compelling kind of way to to set things up as far as that goes. We then cut to a different
0: planet, which I've written down in brackets, Andy Earth, because it's never expressly said at this point, where. There is a parade for an Olympic-style sporting event featuring species from various planets being involved. Pardon my language there. We then see Ultra Magnus address the participants saying, quote, Fellow Olympians, may today's games usher in a new era of peace and cooperation in the galaxy. And in the spirit of the games, let me introduce you to the hero of the Cybertronian Wars, the leader of the Autobots, the bearer of the Matrix. And now to officially open these first Galactic Olympics, Rodimus Prime, end quote. Like, really building this up. I've got to say, Ultra Magnus's voice, I was thinking, man, can you sound any more bored about this if you tried? But he's building it up. He builds this up. Rodimus walks up to the same podium and simply utters the words, quote unquote, let's do it. (laughs) Pretty much in that way as well. And Andy, when that was said, I just thought, oh man,
1: I'm meant to like you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, again, this is one of the fascinating kind of like subplots of, I think a lot of season three, but these episodes go for it to start with because Throughout these episodes, we get Rodimus Prime as like the reluctant leader Uh, because, you know, the end of the film, it's just, you know, hot rod to Rodimus Prime. He's the big hero. Yay. Everything's great. And then, you know, now we're kind of fast forward a bit and he doesn't really want this job. He's not really he's not really feeling it. He'd rather go back to being hot rod and fishing. And, you know, doing all of that stuff. And, again, this is a really interesting through line that, that both, like, the comics and the TV series kind of glom onto the idea that, like, hey, this kid, who was just, like, living his best life, is suddenly in charge of everything. And it's all, like, his duty. And this is a really good starting point of just, like, he's, he, he's not here for this. Like, he would really happily relinquish this to basically anybody else at the earliest possible opportunity but he's the chosen one and so he's gotta do it. Magnus then tries to push Rodimus
0: about saying something relating to peace and tranquility in the galaxy but his response of oh give me a break tells us everything that we need to know and then he just adds afterwards start the games. (laughs) (laughs) now it's worth noting during this speech that at autobot city now keep in mind people All i'm going to say now is that i just called it autobot city just keep that in mind we see bumblebee and warpath watching a broadcast of this speech and following rodimus's truncated speech let's say they exchange words about how they have an unusual leader now so even the autobots aren't flipping sure about this either andy
1: yeah yeah well i mean you know you think about it they they knew like hot rods and it's like well that dumb kid like how come he's suddenly grown a big trailer and he's like in charge of things so you know it kind of it kind (laughs) of makes sense from that point of view you know it'd be like you're annoying like teenage nephew and suddenly you find that he's the ceo of a big company like what no that what um so yeah it 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 makes sense and yeah we 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 will get into Autobot City in due course yep
0: we then get to see what I've written down Andy as an obstacle assault course (laughs) with various Autobots Jazz in particular doing very well but it seems that Blur was originally meant to be involved in this but but he has been tasked with a mission of some kind we see him confused about this when perceptor speaks to him he sends blur and wheelie quote unquote on the most important mission of their lives remember that everyone remember that we hear perceptor say that they are going to be taking a new transformation cog to autobot city the original having been destroyed in the great battle quote unquote with the decepticons we're to assume, Andy, that's the battle and Transformers, the movie, right? Yeah. Movie she? He continues, quote, it controls Metroplex's ability to transform. Until it is installed, the city is extremely vulnerable, quote. He's just randomly called it Metroplex now. What the heck's going on?
1: Yeah, and I mean, that's yeah, it seems that Autobot City was Metroplex all along, but in the movie he's never referred to as metroplex he doesn't transform into his robot mode where let's be honest he would have kicked all the decepticons asses so <laughs> it was perhaps a tactical you know misjudgment not to use him and yeah like a, a, i mean you know we literally talked about this last week where i was upset as a kid because i i owned metroplex it's like well he's autobot city he transforms <laughs> into a huge robot what why does this Autobot City not tra- transform and it turns out the series can't really find a good excuse for that either and it's just like <laughs> hopefully they won't notice um so you, you can imagine this is very much one of those in much the same way as like the special teams that you know Bruticus etc didn't appear in Transformers the movie because I guess you know they weren't they weren't in, on the docket as toys to promote. Like, Metroplex probably fell into that same window of, like, they just happened to have created a big transforming city, but just not Metroplex. And so it's like, well, we need to kind of ram them both together into a single entity. So here's how we'll do it, and here's how we'll introduce this character. It's also additionally
0: worth noting that I think Blur makes some kind of gag of, can't you just use the, the, like the Galactic Express mail service to do this thing? <laughs> but then perceptor i think quite reasonably says to, effectively goes to be fair we don't want anyone else to know where this is so that's why it's really important and we're sending you to do the job
1: yeah. And and also it'd be really annoying if the Decepticons attacked and there's like Transform Metroplex and all they've got is a while you were out card from like <laughs> the Fed space FedEx of just like you weren't you weren't in. We we did you know, we knocked the door very lightly and there was no answer, so you'll have to come and collect it and it's like five hundred miles away.
0: <laughs> Jazz wins the obstacle course, by the way. <laughs> but during the celebrations of these games we cut to a room where someone is watching a screen and we hear a deep gravelly voice say quote autobots you walk the thin line between glory and despair soon you shall cross it end quote then another voice responds with quote yes we learn what makes these humans live and perish quote as we then see a tentacle push a button on a console, which sends a signal to a creature who, according to the TF wiki at this point, Andy, it's not named, but later on we find out his name is name a Skuxoid, which I love name. the name of, to trigger an explosion by the Olympic torch in the stadium. During all the commotion and smoke billowing around, we see the Quintesson ship that we saw in the movie flying through the sky, dropping a pod containing some minions, as I've written down here, of some kind, and a big firefight breaks out. During all this, we see Spike, Daniel, and Carly for the first time in years at this point, quite literally, being confronted by one of the shadowy, because there's smoke around, minions, and Spike saying... I may be going down, but you're coming with me, and then fires his gun, but it does no damage at all. Suddenly, Spike disappears after an explosion goes off near him. We then see the Autobots split into groups, Springer and RC, and Rodimus, Magnus, and Cup. But not for long, because Rodimus then just runs into combat. As you do. Springer then leaps into the air with the plan of trying to douse the torch. Now, Andy, when he said douse the torch, I was thinking, oh, cool. You've got like a built-in like fire hose somewhere in your helicopter mode. That's a really, really good idea. Now, what he actually meant by that, Andy, was shooting it down.
1: Yeah, I mean, hard times for the Autobots now. Ironhide is no longer with us because he, <laughs> he, was, he, he was your like shoe in of like, you know, he could spray out any fluid. Oh, I hate saying this, he can sprout any fluid from his body um, <laughs> and you know, whatever whatever you needed, it seemed like Ironhide could always deliver, but sadly there, Ironhide is no more, so just gonna blow stuff up instead uh, I will add as well actually that
0: amongst all of this battle and stuff going on there is a really cool moment where RC is showing off her sharpshooting skills and it looked really badass
1: yeah, yeah, RC gets to do some some decent things in these episodes, thankfully when the smoke has cleared the stadium is
0: in tatters and almost nobody is around at this point this is when rodimus rc springer carly and daniel realize that magnus spike and cup are gone and have likely been kidnapped with rc saying she suspects that she knows who did it i.e the decepticons Rodimus then issues the planet to be quarantined and adds they'll trash every Decepticon in the galaxy if they don't find their comrades. (laughs) Alright, Rodimus, calm down, you know. (laughs) But suddenly, a spaceship appears from under the remnants of the stadium and flies away. We then see Springer demonstrate he's a triple changer for the first time as far as I remember, Andy, going into car mode and RC joining him as they head for a ship of their own. The scene ends with Rodimus all on his own, saying to himself, why'd I have to be the chosen one? This was quite the scene, Andy. I'm sort of almost doing this like as a scene-by-scene scenario breakdown at the moment, but this whole thing, like the whole Olympic Galactic Games thing, I was really not into until I saw Jazz doing really well. (laughs) But this, it was just a really weird setup in a way, and I wasn't too sure who I was kind of meant to be liking and not, because Rodimus I just really wasn't liking. Magnus felt boring, to be quite frank. And then when the whole like invasion began, I most felt sorry for like Spike, Daniel, and Carly, quite frankly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It is really weird, and again, you know, when you go back to the the core of this series, is like trying to sell toys to kids. It's like, well, you know, I mean, as I've mentioned before, like Ultra Magnus is like now canonically the really boring guy in the Autobots, like all of the new comics just make him like the boring pen pusher. And you can kind of see why when you look at him, you know, even in the movie, but in these episodes where he's just very officious and you know, do it by the book, and then yeah, like Rodimus is kind of a bit of a jerk like and it's it's an interesting narrative beat as 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 i mentioned but you know it's it doesn't make him particularly likable um but yeah there's 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 quite a lot to unpack i mean i guess space olympics is a good way of showing like oh everything's peaceful but not for long so i i can see why that is the useful conceit um i was not expecting the quintessons to be quite so emo um with their (laughs) kind of like poetry they'd written in their in their off off brand death note or whatever they were doing. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I'm, I I also I, I also like this straight away. They're just like Ultra Magnus Cup, etc. They've been kidnapped. It's like they might have just gone to the concession stands to get some popcorn. You know, Maybe they're, they're trapped this, under rubble. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're at the, you know they're at the Space Olympics. They're probably just you know getting some overpriced burgers or something. But no, it's like oh, the Decepticons have kidnapped them. Um, Which you know it, it, they, they were they were half right. They were kidnapped. So I guess I will give them that. We then cut to Blur and Wheelie in a ship that has just left
0: Cybertron heading to Earth. They notice that Unicron's head is still floating about in orbit when it passes by them, but then we get a closer look at Unicron's head, and it reveals Cyclonus and the Sweeps hiding on the outside of it. It was such a cool visual and a really nice surprise when that happened. Once they see that the ship has gone, they go inside Unicron's head through... One of its broken eyes. Inside, Cyclonus says, "There's nothing to fear. Unicron is dead." As he says that, to his sweeps, suddenly they hear a sound. Cyclonus then says, "Maybe it's the wind."
1: And Scourge responds with, "There's no wind in space." <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it because I also basically said that to Cyclonus, and like, and I, I, I thought they, I thought they were just gonna leave that. So, like, fair play to Scourge of just like, no. Let me tell you, there's actually no winded space.
0: <laughs> we then come to discover that they're doing something very smart. They want to access Unicron's memory bank, which is effectively a computer like Teletran, apparently, and in theory it is still active. They want to use it to see the last visual appearance of Galvatron. We see clipped moments from the Rodimus v Galvatron fight in the movie where Rodimus threw out Galvatron through the side of Unicron. Cyclonus determined, based on the trajectory of the throw, fair play, that Galvatron's remains must be on the planet Thrall. Scourge then manages to look at this planet Andy from a ridiculous distance away, like millions of light years through space quite possibly. It's a planet that's desolate, just full of a bunch of lava pits and some, of some kind, and in one of these little pits, we can just see an arm sticking out from it. Just the one, nothing else, and then Scourge just says Galvatron lives!
1: Yeah, and, and he's doing a Terminator impression. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: really liked this scene because for what I've just been saying earlier about how bad the Decepticons look, this actually made them look incredibly smart. And the idea they've just snuck back into Unicron's head was just such a fun concept.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, it's like C- Cyclonus MVP, just actually like having a good idea and executing on it and doing it successfully. It's like maybe maybe he should be in charge of the Decepticons, like especially given what we see in the episodes to come. Um, but I get ahead of myself. Um, but yeah, like it's again, I'm really fascinated whether this was always left um, like in the movie, whether the movie finished the way it did deliberately so that you could have that like, well, Galvatron's just launched into space somewhere. He could be anywhere, he could come back. Like I assume that was a deliberate part of the plan to to you know give them this exact opportunity to be like, aha, Galvatron lives. Um and yeah, th- this is this is another really smart little bit of setup here. Back on Earth, we see Blaster and the debuting,
0: worth noting, Andy, outback heading to the quote unquote. Socialist Democratic Federated Republic of Carbombia.
1: Yeah, this is this is not <laughs> this is not gonna be the last time we see Carbombia either. Um, and this is the nation that led to Cliff Jumpers voice actor walking out of the show a few episodes from now. Um, and you can kind of see why. Um it's amazing that he lasted beyond this episode where we get our first glimpse of it. Also, while we're talking about Stereotypes, of course. Outback has a really broad, bad Aussie accent. <laughs> of course, he does. Like I, I don't think, because I don't think I've seen these episodes. I'd never, I never, I've seen like Outback in the, you know, he he had a place in the, in the comics where he did some cool stuff for a while. I've never heard his voice before, and it's like, oh, of course they made him an Aussie. He's called Outback, and he's like a Jeep thing. Great, cool. <laughs> Only in hindsight, Andy, do we realize this. <laughs>
0: So Blaster and Outback are looking for Decepticons and to try and get past this conversation that they had quickly Andy after some tense conversations and very and a very stereotypical portray- portrayal of a general in Africa they touch down in their ship and have no idea how they're going to find the Decepticons despite the fact we see them outside of the window of the ship they're in just saying but fear not because Outback has Andy a trustee Decepticon detector which turns out just to be a ploy just to get the general to cooperate with them. They quickly discover Dirge and Ramjet whose attempt to escape is thwarted by Outback's ridiculously powerful grenade that he chucks and seemingly blows up most of the valley that they're in. <laughs> and then they demand the coordinates for the for the planet Char. D- this this scene, Andy, is weird. Also, I want to. I made a note saying that Outback's voice it is the same voice as kind of like I think it's a a particular thug whose name I can't remember in GI Joe. But as soon as I
1: heard the voice, I knew instantly which GI Joe character it was. Yeah, that would that that would figure. Um, but yeah, this is sort of a weird little. Again, this is one of those things where it feels like you've got. I mean, we've already got almost like an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. Like, this is kind of B plot stuff of just like, oh, yeah, like, you know, the Decepticons are up to something. But then you've got the whole thing going with Galvatron, and then let's not forget that transformation cog, which is sort of ticking along and should be its own episode anyway. Um, And, yeah, this – I mean, again, I'm curious as to whether this is – a bit of scene setting for that later episode where we regrettably return to carbombia um but um yeah it's like it, it feels a little bit weirdly out of place and it's either it's either a kind of desperate like oh we need to join the dots on these plot points here's a way to do it or it's like a oh hey there's this outback toy that we've not promoted at all can you stick him in a scene somewhere We then see Rodimus being told the coordinates via a transmission from
0: Outback and at first, when he looked at his map, he thought it was a smudge on the map and not the planet. (laughs) Moving on. We then see a conversation between Perceptor and Rodimus where Perceptor is playing devil's advocate as to who is behind the stadium attack. Rodimus obviously is sure it's the Decepticons and heads to Char to make sure of that fact. Grimlock accompanies him. We then cut to RC and Springer, who are in a ship chasing down the Skuxoid, who is still in the ship of their own, despite the fact Andy is now a completely different colour from earlier, just saying it, that escaped. Quote-unquote, Ah, the old hyperdrive-past-the-asteroid trick, says Springer as he's planning to take the ship down on the asteroid. But the Skuxoid has their number, as suddenly it's gone, but a giant pair of claws grabs the ship that RC and Springer are on from the asteroid. And then we get the line from Springer of, you got any snappy last words? Because, you know, claws that kind of look like scissors. Anyway, they end up blasting a hole to get out of the ship and drop down onto the surface of the asteroid. They discover that this asteroid, in fact, has a base of some kind on it. And they confront the Skuxoid, who surrenders according to the Galactic Agreement, and they must treat him in a certain way. But Springer doesn't care, quite frankly. This is when the Skuxoid spills some beans, as it were, as he says, quote-unquote, they paid good money. RC, immediately wanting confirmation, it's the Decepticons, said, you mean the Decepticons? And then the Skuxoid, clearly realizing they don't actually know the truth, effectively just goes, sure, yeah, Decepticons, (laughs) and then leaves aboard a different ship. In a random twist, RC and Springer say they are going to take his ship as theirs, because theirs was destroyed. I wrote that down in a really weird way, but I managed <laughs> to get it out, Andy. But it turns out, Andy, this asteroid they're on is the ship.
1: Yeah, I mean, why 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 not? And and it's it's more difficult to, to fly than you might think, apparently,
0: also. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed this scene. If there's one thing that I'm liking about this episode so far. It's how it keeps adding on more of that mystery and intrigue element. And I like the way that keeps just adding more pieces to the puzzle. Obviously, sometimes I'd like it to be executed better. But in terms of a global story sense, I am liking how this is progressing
1: yeah i gotta admit i did i did assume this was gonna be the point where it would just like reveal all as, as to like who the the masterminds of the whole space olympic in imbroglio was but like yeah it, i mean if you've seen the film it doesn't you know it, it's the the powder it's keeping is not that dry but i i do appreciate that it's not just you know barreling straight to like oh yeah it's those guys and it kind of keeps the Keeps the pretense up for a bit. Um, I also like these scenes just because I really like Springer. He's just like, especially again, you compare to like, you know, Ultra Magnus, et cetera, who are kind of boring. Like Springer's got a good, a a good mouth on him. He's, he's good at at the one liners. Um, He's just get stuff done. And he's, he's kind of, and he's a cool helicopter. He's a cool green helicopter above all else. Springer is Springer. This is a much better advert for Springer than the movie was quite frankly. Yeah,
0: well, for sure. Well, f- for now. <laughs> we then see a communication between the Skuxoid and one of the shadowy figures that we mentioned earlier. The Skuxoid says that the Autobots think the Decepticons did it, and it turns out it's precisely as the shadowy figure had planned. At this point, we see that Magnus and Spike are being led towards said shadowy figure in the distance. We then cut to Char, and we seemingly get a town hall meeting, in essence, between every single last remaining Decepticon in the galaxy, by the look of it. And it's a lot of them. The Decepticons are proper banged up, they're not doing well at all, and they're lamenting how they need a great leader like the Autobots used to. And they're very careful, Andy, not to call Optimus Prime by name. (laughs) Did you notice that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because, you know, first episode after the movie, we don't want to refer to a dead toy by name.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's also sort of like, you know, narratively that sort of an interesting, like, you know, maybe he's so feared that nobody wants to speak his name. It's like Voldemort in Harry Potter or something. Um, So like, I I, I kind of took it from the more like narrative perspective of like, oh, no, they probably hate him so much they don't even want to to utter his name. But also probably, yeah, they don't want to mention, hey, remember your favorite toy that we killed like a few months ago? cyclonus
0: and the sweeps arrive sharing the news that galvatron has survived we then get a very odd moment in my opinion andy cyclonus effectively becomes something akin to a really over-the-top evangelical preacher and he's encouraging the decepticons to give energy to allow them to rescue galvatron astrotrain gives some and we even see motormaster giving up some then immediately just collapsing because he's got no more energy it's like, what the heck is going on? While this is all unfolding, Rodimus and Grimlock are watching on from a high vantage point, and they see how weak and hurting the Decepticons are. Rodimus outright saying he feels sorry for the Decepticons. Not Grimlock,
1: though. He doesn't, he doesn't feel sorry at all and just laughs. It's, a, it's such a weird laugh as well. Like I realize we've not really heard Grimlock laugh, but <laughs> I, I, I feel like... I I suspect it's more like the character writing than the acting, but like Grimlock is weird in these episodes. Like He doesn't (laughs) feel like... There are points that are just classic Grimlock, but there are also a bunch of points where it's like, no, that's not really... This doesn't feel right for this character. Um, And just him laughing was just one of them. That doesn't seem like a very Grimlock thing to do.
0: (laughs) Rodimus then comes to the conclusion it couldn't have been the Decepticons that kidnapped their friends. But then Grimlock, in a fit of confusion, starts shouting... It wasn't them! Who could it have been then? Who? And lines like that. Which allows Cyclonus to realise that they are being watched, and a firefight breaks out between the two Autobots as they are. Well, sorry. Between the Autobots and the hordes of Decepticons as the episode draws to a close. It's got some rocky moments in this episode, Andy, but inherently i really like the way they have s- have set the table on this when it comes to building up this story there's a lot of mystery and intrigue like i've said a few times now
1: ropey moments aside i am liking how this is developed in episode one yeah there's there's a lot of interesting moments in here you know as mentioned you know rodimus prime and, and where he is at in his career if you like is, is interesting um you know the where the decepticons at is interesting um the 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 shadowy mysterious figure that is seemingly pulling all the strings (laughs) you know that's a pretty good angle um and so yeah you know it's it's kind of weird how the the whole like transformation cog thing again that just feels so extraneous to the rest of this stuff which is really kind of quite you really want it to drill into this um but yeah like this is this is a pretty pretty good place and, and a pretty good kind of cliffhanger especially given that Rodimus and Grimlock are pretty much hanging from the the top of a cliff (laughs) at this point um so yeah yeah this is this is you know animation aside and some odd moments it's it's pretty pretty solid stuff
0: so from there everyone it is now time to move to the second episode in this giant story as we move on to the five faces of darkness part two Picking up from where we left off, Rodimus and Grimlock are heavily outnumbered and under lots of fire, but even after a big explosion goes off next to them, they realise they're not hurting, because the Decepticons are so low on energy, and this is apparently, Andy, directly linked to how much laser fire they can muster up in their guns. They're literally just basically without a scratch, quite frankly.
1: Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you think this means that they were really drunk during Transformers the movie, given that they suddenly all had really powerful laser blasts that could kill people? Like, is that how that works? I mean, I maybe
0: they just had the Transformers equivalent of a really strong energy drink.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just just Red Bull. I mean, there, there was a, like a product placement that they they missed because it was the '80s and they didn't do that kind of thing so much then. That would have been a good, you know, Me- Megatron's murder is brought to you by Monster, Monster
0: and stuff. Monster, Red Bull, Relentless. Take your pick.
1: I don't know anymore. Yeah, your favorite childhood toy was destroyed in conjunction with Red Bull. <laughs> this childhood death memory was brought to you by.
0: <laughs> we then get Grimlock saying. Me, Grimlock, like shooting when can't miss. And then he just says that literally shooting some Decepticons point blank in the face. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great moment from Grimlock. A good redemption after that previous laugh, Andy.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's some good Grimlock for sure.
0: But the Decepticons turn their attention to some CQC, like close quarters combat-like action. And this begins a cool moment of Grimlock transforming into his dino mode and catching a blaster that was thrown at him in his mouth and then crushing
1: it while saying Mmm, crunchy! yeah which is also it it's a sufficiently good moment that it, it gets locked immediately into the end credits for all of season three um but yeah like it's again one of those slightly gently animated things but it's like yeah i can appreciate grimlock just nomming on a rifle i mean even more so andy because he was already in dinosaur mode so why he transformed i don't know
0: well yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not get into that <laughs> The two Autobots are literally beaten down by the Decepticons, but they scarper when suddenly a flaming meteor is plummeting down from the sky. It turns out to be the ship that Springer and RC are in, the asteroid like one. Springer saying, I told you it'd stop in a proton, and RC saying, Yeah, and that's the first thing you've told me that's right. <laughs> There's some great dialogue between Springer and RC in these episodes. Then one of the combaticons, I think, Andy, at this point, I'd lost track of how many Decepticons there were on the screen, but just goes, most unusual behavior for a meteor.
1: (laughs) When (laughs) it sees it just flying in the sky. Also, as, as a quick side note here, we do need to talk with all these Decepticons around. Our boy Rumble got real big. Did you notice that he was—he's as big as (laughs) Soundwave? I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a whole few shots where he's just like stood, just like head to head with (laughs) Soundwave. Like, oh my my boy is all grown up. He's all grown up. <laughs> you were so proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely not a massive animation error. He's just, he's just got bigger, or just a very odd perspective shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's where that's maybe that's where all the energon went. It's just like Rumble, just like I'm fed up of just being small and wimpy like this. I'm just gonna eat all the energon and get big. Rodimus and Grimlock are then retrieved via the extending claws that we
0: talked about in the last episode. And they're being held onto as the ship departs. Worth noting at this point that Rodimus is completely knocked out, Grimlock isn't. But a new plot twist occurs as Cyclonus and Scourge see this and immediately realize this is the work of the Skuxoids, and that they're potentially working with the Autobots. Swindle then saying, they'd sell anyone out for the right price. And Cyclonus saying, you would know, Swindle. <laughs> there's some great dialogue in this and it's so good cyclonus vows to his comrades that their contributions of energon shall not be in vain and when they return galvatron will be with them as him scourge and the sweeps leave Again, Andy, I know it picked up directly from where the last episode left off, but this was just a, f- a cool scene, and it was that chance of the Decepticons trying to do something, and it just further emphasised how far they've fallen. That they just can't even dent them with a gun now. It's yeah. just a really interesting and fun scene.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's it's a really good moment where it kind of yeah it cuts from like Rodimus and Grimlock across to the Decepticons who are just like massed there and they're just you know basically firing the equivalent of water pistols at them to be like ah got yeah, um and then yeah they just have to kind of just just go for for melee instead um which again not not a great selling point for like as new leader who's just like oh, i'm down yeah literally <laughs> just, literally what i was thinking just just really make zero effort in this battle It's just like oh, i'm done i'm unconscious leave me alone just oh uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much it's just like oh okay fine we're, we're done here but also, also some weird like grimlock behavior there because he gets really like upset about the whole thing whereas like season one two era grimlock would have been like ah i'm the leader now but no apparently none of that yeah i can't remember the exact line but it was something like me grimlock say Rodimus, wake up yeah, and <laughs> it's just, like, like that. that's that's so kind of out of character for him who'd normally be like, well, this just proves I'm the strongest and I should be the leader. Um, so, yeah, that, that I found a bit weird, but anyway. I've
0: just got this vision that, like, in 19 years, Grimlock just kind of chilled out a bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe just, like, the post-traumatic stress of everything that happens in the film has just kind of, like, you know, given him a, a different viewpoint on the world. He's mm. just like... Maybe, maybe he went and spent some time in, like, Omega Supreme's Forest of Solitude or whatever <laughs> and just found himself. And he's like, no, now now I can be a more mature dinosaur man. Speaking of which, we ain't heard anything about Omega Supreme yet, have we? At all. No, no, I mean, he's he's done. Like, he's... he's oh, in really? ...somewhere. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't... Because I, I think... Basically, he gets usurped by Skylinks, who we will we will discuss in due course because he becomes the spacefaring MVP of the Autobots. So, like <laughs> Omega Supreme, I guess it's just like, nah, discontinued the toy. He does doesn't even get a death scene, he's just he's just done. He's just retired to the forest of solitude forever.
0: <laughs> Elsewhere in space, on an asteroid-like planet, we're introduced to a familiar sight a courtroom. Except this time, we see three of the multi-faced figures holding court with Cup. Quote-unquote, from the It's a Quintesson, they don't call them that yet, I'm just saying it, because it's far easier. You are the Autobot called Cup, Cybertron's chief of security. Cup responds with, nah, my name's Teaspoon, and I'm Cybertron's chief dishwasher.
1: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> and then,
0: then the Quintesson follows up with,
1: zero percent possibility of truth (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I don't know why this made me laugh quite as hard as it did i think the delivery helps is like nope, my name's teaspoon and it's like (laughs) cool and i like i like cup cup can (laughs) say
0: from further dialogue we come to find out that the quintessons again not name checked at this point are wanting to know the status of cybertron's defenses cup says it's in a total shambles after the last war three kids and a dog could take it he says the quintessons don't believe him and pressure him for more info on weaknesses but cup ain't letting any info go not that they need him to answer because they can seemingly read his mind and say that cup seems quite concerned about earth's defenses compared to cybertron's a short way away in their cell spike and magnus pick up on the fact that, again, still not name-checked at this time, the Quintessons know a heck of a lot of info about the Transformers, and seemingly they can read their minds, Spike noting, though, seemingly not his. The scene then ends with the Quintessons acknowledging to themselves that they don't have much info on the humans, and decide they must see how Spike handles interrogation and death. One thing I really want to note from this scene, Andy, is we never really got a proper introduction to Cup in the movie, like at all. I think in in Five Faces of Darkness Part One, we got a really good introduction to RC and Springer through part of that. You know, we get an introduction to Magnus and Rodimus, not the greatest in the world, but we'll leave that as it is. This is the episode where they actually give Cup a proper introduction, and man, does he have a does he have some cracking dialogue as we just talked about? It's a great introduction to him.
1: Yeah, yeah, like the the movie is pretty good at, at giving you enough to kind of like get a feel for the characters. Um, but yeah, this sort of certainly on Cup's part, you get a bit more of a kind of a bit more of the specifics of you know what what he's about and what he does. Um, and yeah, you kind of get to see him. The, the, the whole interrogation scene is is pretty good. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, I'm I'm very much on board with uh, with Cup at this point.
0: And also, just in terms of like setting the scene for this Judgment Trial scenario, it reinforces it pretty well when you compare it to the movie. It still retains that sense of what the heck is going on here.
1: Yeah, well, even more so here because there's clearly a whole layer of like foreshadowing about like why do the Quintessons know so much about the Transformers and why do they know so little about how stupid Spike is. Um, and, you know, so there's, you know, there's some, there's some good foreshadowing here of, of, you know, again, I'm not sure, like, I it's, it's one that's like, I wish I'd seen these episodes as a kid to have like a, a reference point for how quickly I picked up on this stuff. Because it's like, well, I know that in this kind of, you know, this particular narrative, the Quintessons, you know, I know, I know what their origin point is and where all this is going. Um, but, you know, again, it, it keeps enough, to itself that it doesn't give too much away and it just helps build up that mystery of like well what's going on why are they so interested in all of this stuff um etc etc
0: we rejoin Springer RC and Grimlock with the still knocked out Rodimus Prime but now having set down on an asteroid Rodimus's state doesn't look good and based on their discussions it's really not looking good we then hear Rodimus say, "My time in the light is short." RC then says, "That's what Optimus said as he was
1: dying." My first reaction:
0: No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I was like, I mean, they could they could have gone flashback and, and played that back, but yeah, that was <laughs> I I had that exact same thing of like I the, clearly weren't paying attention.
0: Also, first actual name check of Optimus Prime in this season. Just for love. Yeah.
1: Yeah, which does suggest that maybe the Decepticons not make sure his name was more of a, a Voldemort thing, so mm. I'll, I'll give them that.
0: Rodimus then adds, Springer, my friend. And then Arcee then says, he's preparing to pass the Matrix of Leadership to you. Springer responds with, his judgment is obviously impaired. Forget it, Rodimus. You're just going to have to stay
1: alive. <laughs> yeah. Also, 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 I'm a triple changer. I don't have like a big chest cavity to keep the matrix <laughs> in, so tough luck. And then
0: Rodimus says, "You must." And then his eyes start blinking, and he slips away. And RC then scans him, and we hear her say that his life force has slipped away. Commercial break.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, the, 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 well, I was going to say the shortest, like, Autobot leadership reign, but actually Ultramagnus didn't last very long in <laughs> know, the movie, right? so I guess he's probably already got that beat.
0: Despite the grim situation, Grimlon makes the astute point that he must be alive because the Matrix hasn't been handed over. <laughs> it's so basic, but it works so well. Springer and RC agree, but the fact his life force has disappeared is puzzling. Things at this point, Andy. Get a bit trippy, let's say. As we see Rodimus's life force, question mark, having a vision or a trip of some kind through the Matrix that involves Optimus Prime's face morphing into Rodimus, then into a skull thing. I don't know what it was. Then we see a planet exploding, robots exploding, and then seemingly reforming and or evolving into a Quintesson's face. Again, still not name-checked at this point. Rodimus then awakens and tells the others that he was inside the Matrix and he's learned it was the Quintessons, actually name-checked, who kidnapped their friends. At this point, it's worth noting that they acknowledge the whole courtroom scene from the movie, including the fact they didn't know what they were being tried for. But interestingly, they name-checked the fact, Andy, they were on Quintessa when that happened. And I'm pretty sure they didn't know that, but I'll let that slide, as it were. The scene then ends with Rodimus and co heading out to Quintessa, despite Springer's plea of trying to take him back to Cybertron. Rodimus just basically goes, No, I'm ordering you, we're going to Quintessa. This is quite a, 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 uh, an interesting scene, Andy, I guess is one way to put it overall. The fact Rodimus nearly died, like, second episode, then it's like, boy, mate, like, you've got a rough season ahead. That's what I was <laughs> thinking. But, uh, again... They keep building this mystery and intrigue and the whole idea you can have like a vision or a voyage through the Matrix itself, another interesting concept and one you could easily at this point seeing come into play again at some point in the season, just maybe not expecting it to be so soon.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I I mean I'm always a sucker for this stuff. I really enjoyed two thousand and one Rodimus Odyssey, um, as we <laughs> as we kind of went through that that bit. Like I, I, I love those kind of like trippy like how how do we join together these disjointed bits of narrative and like oh we'll have this kind of like vision quest. Um and again it's the thing that I love about these this set of episodes is how hard they lean into all the new stuff that the movie has put out there. And it's like the Matrix as this, you know, which not mentioned at all really before like the film comes about in any direct way, but they've like lent into like, okay, well, is this, you know, it has this like mysterious power that, you know, it destroyed Unicron. It has, there's some weird wizard stuff going on. Um, So, you know, we can, we can use that to, our advantage here and if we can use it to join the dots and to have some like you know ephemeral ideas of like ah there's connections somewhere what does this all mean and it works pretty well like as, as as lame as rodimus's reason for being half dead is like actually that's that's a pretty compelling I this was definitely a moment in these episodes where I really sat up and like even animation wise, it's like you've you've got some good ideas here and you've actually executed on them. And this is kind of like a really visually compelling way of joining this stuff together. Um so yeah, yeah, this 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 was good. I, I really like this. I, I think there was some more weird Grimlock stuff went on around this, but otherwise, yeah, this this was this was good.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we've been talking about the visuals quite a bit and, you know, how some of it is ultra ropey in places. This was really, really good. Like, like you said, something very unique. And also, Andy, it's just something completely different, which was nice to see as well. Actually, ACOM being able to just do something entirely on their own like that, just and just bring it to life like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good, good little bit of kind of surreal trippiness, as you say. Meanwhile, on
0: Quintessa, we see Magnus, Spike, and Cup being led to their judgment, quote-unquote. This is when Spike shows he has really grown up, Andy. This is when he shows he's developed a proper good brain. Because he starts reminiscing about the good old days and then mentions specifically a moment of a game of American football. Which, when Spike asks Magnus if he remembers, he says, no. (laughs) And then Cup takes the hint and starts rushing towards their enemies, allowing them to take a Quintesson hostage. Who, to name check now, Andy, we quickly learn is named Judge Deliberata, which is a fantastic name.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure I've watched that ITV courtroom drama series uh, <laughs> that, that he he goes on to star in, Judge Judge Deliberata. Very very good. <laughs> then Spike grabs some
0: tentacles of, of Deliberata and takes a gun from a guard and then they head to the courtroom. Spike demands that they be freed or they will kill the judge because at this point they're standing before the other three quintessons. Said other three quintessons basically just do the equivalent of oh well, no loss and sentence them all to death. <laughs> Which even the Autobots are like wait, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean don't, don't, don't break the habit of a lifetime I guess.
0: Then they fall down into the pit of shark Sharktacons and Cup at this point is clearly having a severe case of deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> that scene, Andy, again, really, really nice. It's shown some human development of Spike and it's just a fun scene. I really liked it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a good little turnaround because you sort of think that, oh, this is going to... I mean, honestly, you think this is going to be like an, an exact like replica of the movie that they're going to get sentenced and dropped in the shark's tank? which, you know, they do. But at least it has a bit more a bit more going on to it. And yeah, like Spike actually, you know, doing something useful, probably because there were no women for him to fawn over. So he actually could engage his brain for once. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's some, some pretty good stuff.
0: Meanwhile. We join Cyclonus, Scourge, and company at Thrall. Scourge is ordered to remove Galvatron from the ooze because Cyclonus has an idea of what's about to come. And boy, Andy was he—did he make the right decision on this? Scourge pulls him out of the, the 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 lava, if you will. And the first line of Frank Welker's Galvatron is, "Who disturbs my plasma
1: bath?" <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just, like i was in the bath like, it's, it's like when somebody calls you and you're just trying to take a nice relaxing bath that's exactly what i say so I'm, i i feel you galvatron it feels this is one of the weird things of going straight from the movie to this is just like going from leonard nimoy to frank welker mm-hmm. the voices and, and credit to frank welker he hasn't just been like oh i'll just try and do leonard nimoy's voice he's actually you know like no nah, i'm gonna do something i'm gonna do my own thing Goes to the opposite um, but, end of the spectrum, really. Yeah, and it, but it's just, yeah, yeah, it's so completely different. Like, most of the other characters, they, they pretty much, you know, they sound the same, give or take. Um, and, you know, especially, like, you know, later on we get to other characters, like, oh, actually, they've really kind of nailed it. Um, but, yeah, like Galvatron, it's like, oh, you've... I, maybe that's what a plasma bath does to you. I can't. I can't say. Like maybe, maybe that does something to the vocal cords if you're a robot. So Galvatron is now out of
0: the bath, if you will, and then <laughs> psych- if, if we if we had
1: like episode names for podcasts, like Galvatron is out of the bath would be the title of this one.
0: Cyclonus is standing there and responds with, "Mighty Galvatron, we've come to deliver you from," and then is cut off by Galvatron who says and does the following. From my Empire of Ash, punches him in the head. My Bastion of Primstone, or Brimstone, its one or the other, again, punches him in the head. My Kingdom of Desolation hits him again and again, but this time he goes falling into the lava pit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like... uh, I, also, I, also, I also feel like galvatron's just workshopping some metal albums he's been planning <laughs> in his head with there it's like i've got some really good names i need to work through here
0: Cyclonus tries to get up but galvatron says did i ask you for deliverance did i and then kicks him square in the chin and just sends him launching into the air dropping into the lava further away Holy crap, Andy. He then shoots like a rock with his, his arm cannon and then says, Ah, Cyclonus, how wonderful to see you again. <laughs> Decepticons, your leader has returned. Long live the Empire. Long live <laughs> Galvatron. <laughs> just, the sweeps are just so confused and they just start saluting him and go, Hail Galvatron! Because they don't oh, want to yeah. get beaten up like that
1: holy yes. crap, Andy, what an introduction scene to Galvatron in the series. Yeah, and I mean, again, it, it, it's amazing how hard that goes on it, which, you know, another of the sort of recurring things that, that various Transformers media have done of just, as we were talking about, like, you know, is Galvatron Megatron? Is Galvatron just Galvatron, but Megatron's body? What's going on there? And the thing I love about Galvatron's character and the way he's written like across media is that He's just completely unhinged at this point because of everything that's happened to him. Like, you know, having been transformed from Megatron to Galvatron and, you know, the the fallout from that, the psychological trauma of everything around Unicron, who was, like, torturing his mind. He's just broken and he's kind of, you know, he's just completely unhinged. And, you know, even within these episodes, that's a really interesting point that this story plays with of just like he's just he's he's a literal canon but he's also a loose canon um and that's i find that super fascinating and so yeah this scene is a really good like if, if you wanted to illustrate that in one quick like kind of you know 30 to 60 seconds this does that because he's just like he's completely mad and he'll lash out at anybody and then suddenly he's like oh no cool yeah i'm decepticon leader great and it's just like okay this guy is unpredictable at best
0: i will say not taking away from frank welker there was part of me that was thinking imagine leonard nimoy doing this scene yeah for sure (laughs) Back with Rodimus and Crow, they are near Quintessa. Arcee says that she'll relay the coordinates to the Assault Force. And I'm thinking, wait, what? What what, what Assault Force? Where's this come from? (laughs) Inside, Spike asks the Quintessons, what crime did the Autobots commit? Theft, they respond. Cup says they must be confusing them with the Decepticons. But the Quintessons then follow up with, do you not occupy Cybertron?
1: A statement that, to fa- fair to say, Andy, brings more questions than answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to be fair. Although, uh, I would, I imagine the Autobots were probably relieved that it's like the crime wasn't, you kill Kremsey. but, <laughs> you know. That would have been a curveball, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, turns out that was their beef all along. I can't believe you did that to the little electricity dude. <laughs> the Quintessons then become aware of Rodimus
0: and Co's arrival from up above, and they realise they have a chance to destroy the Matrix. Then, an alicon on a turret blows up the ship they are arriving in. Back on Thrall, Galvatron says that these baths have made him more powerful than ever, but wants to know where his army is. Cyclonus says that him and the sweeps will be his elite guards, the other Decepticons, cannon fodder. Galvatron laughs at the idea of them being elite guards, then attacks some of the sweeps, (laughs) and then we get a brief scuffle between the sweeps and Galvatron, Which ends very quickly. This is so random, this scene, Andy. And Scourge, after the scuffle, says that he knows why Galvatron is leader. Galvatron likes what he hears, and then they depart. Well, not before Galvatron turns up into his turret form and blows up the planet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought he liked those baths. Like, surely I, that that was the oh well. I mean, I guess in you know, like unpredictable Galvatron. But yeah, like much like Galvatron, I too feel immensely powerful after a bath, but I tend not to destroy it after immediately after I've had it. Also, additional note here, which I
0: think is worth bringing up, although it's kind of played upon, but it's not. A couple of times during the scene, there's like some twinkling of like red stars around Galvatron's head or his forehead kind of implying that something's not right, or like yeah, he's a bit it's... like I don't know,
1: hot and flustered well, you've been in lava, I'm not surprised <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's maybe yeah, like you know, you, you feel a bit faint after you've had a really hot bath, so it's just <laughs> that, that's that's the entire problem it's actually nothing to do with his mental state at all he just needs to have a lie down and, and cold glass of milk back on Quintessa it turns
0: out that Rodimus and co aren't dead, but it seems that the Quintessons knew this the Quintessons escape, but Magnus Cup, Spike, and Judge Deliberata are pulled out of the shark's compet by an airborne Springer with Arcee and Rodimus helping. Firefighting continues briefly, and then the Autobot fleet arrives. And it turns out, Andy, the fleet is the bloomin' aerial bots inside a spaceship. I was so happy about this. This is great. And then we get to see some aerial bots in action. But the other three Quintessons are leaving on their own ship and they decide that they're going to just blow up Quintessa and set off a bomb to be rid of the Matrix because this is the only chance to do it. Everyone is safely ab- aboard the Autobot ship now following the battle that
1: I just mentioned involving the Bots, But the planet explodes as the episode concludes. Are there even many planets left in the universe at this point? I mean, Unicron's eaten a bunch of them. Cybertron's got no moons anymore. We have two planets blown up in like about five minutes flat. Here, like it feels like we're running out of planets. I'm a little bit worried. I mean. I, I mean, I'm trying to think, uh, maybe there's just way more planets in the year 2005, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess there are quite a lot of planets in the universe, so it's fine, but we just seem to be getting through them at a rate of not. <laughs> it's like we've gone from, like, blowing up power stations on
0: Earth now to just blowing up planets. That's how yeah, far we've yeah. come. Yeah,
1: quite, yeah, quite the escalation. Uh,
0: this, I really enjoyed seeing the aerobots. I genuinely thought we weren't going to see them again, so it was a really pleasant surprise to see them arrive.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the poor protector bots have once again been forgotten, I guess. But the aerial bots make more sense in in this uh, in this particular uh, particular environ. So uh, that that is that is fair. So thoughts on episode two
0: overall, Andy? Again, from my point of view, really, really enjoyed it. Liked all the plot lines they were developing. Galvatron's introduction is freaking nuts, but just really, really good fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, like I say, I really like the Galvatron stuff, Um, and, and, you know, it's sort of, it feels quite brave almost for a kid's cartoon to be like, no, we're just going to have, like, this mentally unhinged character be, you know, because, I mean, Megatron was, you know, maniacal and all of that other good stuff, but, like, there was always a logic to him, and it was always, you know, you could see the thought process, whereas Galvatron is just completely massively unpredictable and that makes for a super interesting sort of story from from the start um and yeah I, I think you, you get to see as, as much as parts of this story you know like I say could have been spun off into other like individual stories having a five-parter really benefits like the slow build for the Quintesson stuff because you know if you tried to put this even in a two-parter you wouldn't have the opportunities to slowly build up this story and go for like okay we've got this kind of third party that's inserted themselves into usual autobot decepticon shenanigans and you slowly get bit by bit that is revealing itself as to why they have beef why they have skin in this game and we're now at the point of like okay they they have problems with the autobots and they're being on cybertron so, what's the deal here? Will we ever find out? Yes, we will in the next part.
0: And that next part is Five Faces of Darkness, part three. First of all, Andy, we get a different intro. We get the same really cool music, which I really liked, but we get a completely different, almost
1: bespoke intro for this. And it looked really flipping cool. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. I, I I can I guess I can understand why they've done it, but yeah, it's sort of it it feels very it feels more like a sort of a, a bunch of thrown together clips rather than an opening in a lot of places. Um, but yeah, it's sort of strange. Of a like, oh okay, I'm not entirely sure why they took the time to do that, but cool. <laughs> so because Andy,
0: I felt the need to write down what happened. Would you like my recap? of this random intro. Yes, please, please do. It features what I described as a Death Star Trench run, Decepticons trying to fight over a solitary Energon Cube, Galvatron blowing up a planet, Daniel about to be stepped on by the Decepticon equivalent of Metroplex, because at this point I couldn't remember the name of it, then, then Metroplex transforming and then Magnus and Cup falling into a Sharktacon tank, and then Rodimus being sucked into a giant
1: vacuum cleaner. Yeah, which, I mean, that that is the thing that is about to, <laughs> to befall before, <laughs> before some of our, our heroes, so, you know, relevant. Foreshadowing, literally. Yeah. The episode
0: begins with Quintessa blowing up, and the Autobot ship being blown up by what looks like a massive missile, I guess, coming from Quintessa? And then at this point, the Autobots and the, the Autobots and Spike are just drifting through space. Spike's randomly in a spacesuit now, thank God. But Rodimus is seemingly the only one not actually worried about the fact they're just drifting aimlessly through space. Literally, Andy just kicking back and telling his comrades, "Relax and enjoy the ride." <laughs>
1: yeah well i mean i guess maybe he saw the episode where like uh in season two where we we had starscream just floating through space and just ended up at cybertron in like five minutes so it's like yeah it'll be it'll be fine we might bump into shockwave but who knows magnus then manages to calculate
0: from their trajectory there's a lot of that in the show now that we will si- that they will collide excuse me with an object two hundred thousand miles away <laughs> we'll get there in a few minutes Elsewhere, we see Galvatron flying through space, being updated by Communicator on various happenings. It's mentioned the fact that the humans now have a space platform that is the first line of defense for Earth. And Galvatron laughs at this concept, as did I, and wants to see it for himself. This is when we see doubt from a sweep who thinks that the lava plasma has made Galvatron a bit loopy, to say the least. We see them travel through a warp gate. Just a giant freaking picture frame in space, Andy. What the heck? No introduction whatsoever to this.
1: It's just there. It's the year 2005, Jeremy. This is it's the future. Fair. Fair comeback. I'll give you that. <laughs> so, random new concept
0: introduced there. I'm fully expecting we'll be seeing more of that in this season. They arrive at the space platform. Or Outpost 1. I wasn't entirely sure if this was actually the platform, Andy, but it didn't say it wasn't. But either way, it's basically a space station, and this is the exact time that Blur and Wheelie are arriving there, too. Blur has some great dialogue that I simply cannot replicate here, but it is really good fun. Blur's dialogue, Andy, I am not going to grow tired of. It's really good fun.
1: Yeah, I... I've got to admit, I did grow tired of it quite quickly. Um, it's uh, you know, I, I feel like it, it, it kind of worked in the movie because he didn't have too much to do and none of it was all that important. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's more just him and Wheelie is just like my worst nightmare. Um, and so it's just <laughs> I like, like them. <laughs> It's just the, the opposite of a dream team for me. That I'm not saying they're my new cosmos, but they might be my new cosmos.
0: <laughs> so. They're getting towards the space station. In fact, no, sorry, they have arrived at the space station. And they are alerted to the fact that that the Decepticons are nearby. After contacting the space platform, they are advised to make a break for Earth and that everyone on the base will do their best to cover them. Wheelie then saying, humans are fools to trust their tools. That's one of the only lines I could write down, Andy, because most of the other dialogue was just really long and very difficult to try and hear at times. Galvatron and co. attack. And Blur and Wheelie's ship in the process takes a big hit. And we see, Andy, what I think at this point, in the entire context of Transformers, is the first actual firefight between humans and Decepticons. I'm pretty sure of that. Kind of a landmark moment in many ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the humans have leveled up a bit in the uh, the intervening decades and yeah like they've got their own their their own earth defense force and all of this stuff so yeah they seem they seem better equipped than the the days of yore where they where everyone was a blue collar worker and they didn't ever have any weapons
0: now obviously the decepticons are far too powerful and we even see galvatron shoot some some escape ships for sport just killing a bunch of humans What a a nasty man, Andy, to say the least. But then he notices Blur and Wheelie's ship in the distance, and they begin chasing because they are heading to Jupiter. But their ship is hit again. This entire scene, Andy, again, another fun scene, but I like the fact it actually showed how far the humans have come on, and it shows they're actually a bit more of a force to at least have a second guess about for once.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's I think it's one of the fun things about having the future setting future as it was at the time <laughs> setting um that that we have in this series because it does let them play with stuff like that whereas yeah season 1 and 2 I mean I guess by season 2 like the humans did have like lasers but they were you know pretty much laser pointers compared to you know what the the transformers had um and yeah now you know they kind of They've got space cops, basically, um, and, you know, all of that stuff, which, you know, makes sense because we've had, like, you know, Daniel and Spike, you know, going around in their spacesuits and and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it it has an extra little bit of texture and, and kind of, you know, depth to the story. And as it turns out, then, you know, the humans are not just useless bystanders in this story as it develops. Meanwhile, at Autobot City... We hear Blaster say, Good
0: morning, good morning. Then an alarm goes off and he says, Bad morning, bad morning. <laughs> oh, I'm glad Blaster survived. At this point, it's also Blaster specifically, Andy, that refers to Autobot City as Metroplex when contacting an outpost on Mars. Blaster is alerted by the EDC captain, EDC standing for Earth Defense Command, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the the captain, Marissa Fairborn, that they have picked up on an Autobot ship on their scanners that's being chased by Decepticons. She then takes off in a ship of her own to go and help them. Talking about Blur and Wheelie, their ship is really struggling, but they end up ditching the ship by using ejector seats. They're they're in space, Andy. I don't get it,
1: but sure. (laughs) Yeah, not sure how that works. Also, I mean, yeah, we've seen Transformers just like... Jumping out of shuttles or just like Rodimus Prime, just kicking back and floating through space. So why you suddenly need ejector seats, I do not know. Galvatron destroys the
0: ship shortly after they escape, but two Autobots end up falling into the atmosphere. Wheelie manages to actually shoot a sweep right between the eyes, and the sweep's guidance system is totaled. The sweep Andy at this point begs for help, says to Galvatron Lord Galvatron, help me! And he just responds with please meet your end with dignity i despise whiners it's like (laughs) flipping heck and you just see this sweeper just falling through the atmosphere just going no yeah
1: we've 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 come a long way from like the megatron and starscream days where you know all all these things would be tolerated
0: at this point andy i'm gonna try to sum this up as best as i can but i'm not sure i'm gonna do this justice they're falling through/slash flying through the atmosphere, all of them. Galvatron makes a storm cloud implode. Yeah, <laughs> he's loving seeing what he did, and he refers it also to he refers to it also as a symphony of destruction and an anthem of agony.
1: Yeah, which, again, still workshopping those metal <laughs> album names. Hey, Symphony of Destruction was a Megadeth song, so, you know. There we go. Now, now again, uh, our typical question, which came first? Did Transformers invent <laughs> that, the name of that song? or, or Symphony
0: of Destruction was 92, 91, okay. 92,
1: I think. So, there you go. So, once again, Transformers shaping history. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone, everyone else around them is suffering from the
0: insane amount of light and noise being produced. Light and noise. I can't talk today, Ron. sorry. Uh, Light and noise being produced by this imploded storm cloud. Elsewhere, the Quintessons are very happy that they've destroyed the Autobots' matrix. And, Andy, the following dialogue exchange takes place. For the purposes of this, I'm going to refer to the two Quintessons speaking as A and B. A. How pleasant the feeling to know the Autobots and the matrix of leadership have been destroyed I could watch it over and over again. B. It is a day so long and coming that I am uncertain how to celebrate it. A. Perhaps a quiet chuckle. B. Very well then. Let us chuckle. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was. I I. I. I write that in all caps, just let us chuckle, because that was my favorite line of all of these episodes. Um, again, if we had podcast titles, that would also be a contender. <laughs> Suddenly, their scanners pick up Rodimus and Co. drifting
0: through space. Apparently, they are going to collide with the planet Andy, Goo number 8739B, <laughs> which implies
1: there's a lot of Goo planets. I mean, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, I guess. You know, the goo's got to go somewhere. They decide the only
0: way they'll be rid of the Autobots is a risky move, but they're going to form an alliance with the Decepticons. The Autobots and Judge Deliberata land on the gooey planet, and to say they're stuck in goo is an understatement. They can move through it, but not actually escape it. But then they are soon faced with the prospect of the planet's equivalent of a giant road sweeper sucking them up. Unfortunately for them, gunfire is useless on the machine, and Springer is then sucked up into the machine after trying to fly away and ends up being broken down into parts on a conveyor belt, and the next target is Rodimus Prime. Springer was doing so well, Andy. (laughs)
1: yeah yeah a a sticky end as it were oh andy springer oh i didn't i didn't even plan that one it just it just came (laughs) out um but yeah like if if only there was somebody in the show that could just like build an autobot that had been broken into its component parts and put it back together (laughs) i wonder
0: Back with Blur and Wheelie, they're still trying to escape Galvatron, but the Storm Implosion is doing a number on their transformation circuits, meaning they can't control themselves. They end up crash-landing on a moon of some sort, and despite Galvatron saying he wanted their heads, he loses track of them, then doesn't care, and sets course for the planet Char. That's how erratic Galvatron is, folks. (laughs) Meanwhile, on Char, the Quintessons arrive knowing the Decepticons are very weak, and thus will be easy to persuade with some quote-unquote energon, enough to make them want more. Dead End is ready to just be killed by a Quintesson when he he is the one that ends up confronting them, but the Quintessons say that they come in peace, and then Dead End samples some of the energon, which immediately prompts the other Decepticons to leap in and try and get some for themselves. The scene ends with a Quintesson notably saying, quote-unquote, Soon they will be ours again. Back on goo, Rodimus is able to stop the road sweeper by effectively causing its suction to force the suction of itself downwards into the goo rather than hovering hovering over it. I don't even know if that made sense how I said that, Andy. I'm just going to carry
1: on because it it was absurd. I'm just going to say he reversed the polarity of the suction because it sounds cool.
0: (laughs) In fairness, that's far better than what I was... You know what? Yes, that exactly, Andy, just that. His comrades are in awe of his actions. I would go so far as to say, Andy, it's the first time the Autobots are actually impressed with their leader.
1: Yeah, and to be fair, it's the first time he's done anything impressive since (laughs) throwing Galvatron out of the side of Unicron. So, you know, I mean, the the fact that it was against the Road Sweeper is neither here nor there. The
0: Quintesson Judge Deliberata, who, yes, is still with them, is shocked, saying, quote-unquote, you were never programmed for self-sacrifice.
1: Rodimorse, R- Rodimorse, that's not a name. R- Inspector Rodimorse. <laughs> <laughs> and Judge Del- Judge Deliberata, like, uh, the, the new double act coming to ITV very soon.
0: <laughs> if I get through this today, this will be a miracle. Rodimus, of course then says how would you know but also feels it's more important to try and escape right now so it doesn't you know labor the point back on char the decepticons have now consumed some energon and are already thinking about what the heck the proposition the quintessons have might be they're just saying it's probably too good to be true now to be with energon forever they need to take care of a nuisance destroy the Autobots, the Quintessons say. To which, one Decepticon immediately says, we do that anyway! <laughs> that point. There's also concerns about Cybertron's defences, but then Blitzwing speaks up, and has like a memory that he has met these guys before, but can't remember exactly where, or even what their names are. Eventually, Motormaster declares there should be a vote! The only nay out of all the Decepticons is Blitzwing. The Decepticons, sans Blitzwing, board the Quintesson's ship, and before the scene ends, a Quintesson remarks that the Decepticons' quote-unquote program is not nearly as tainted as the Autobots. I know it's a couple of scenes we've just I've just run through there, Andy. I'm still liking the way this is building, but I really enjoyed that Decepticon scene because now we're finally getting this this tease sans like Skyfire from season one of there's a decepticon that's really not up for this is this gonna lead to anything and it's a fun it's another fun little twist in this already really topsy turvy story with so many plot lines going
1: yeah. It's weird that it's Blitzwing, um, like given <laughs> like Blitzwing of triple takedown fame. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, it's another nice little angle. And again, it's it's th- that slow build of who and what are the Quintessons? Like it's kind of becoming quite obvious at this point, but it's still slowly building it up and just drip feeding in the comments and the, the ideas where y- you're kind of like I want to hear the full story now because I've got, I've been given enough tantalizing morsels of what this story is trying to do and what it's trying to tell us. I want to hear the whole thing. And and it's done really well at building that up, I think. Completely agree. And
0: I mean, at this point I was, there was part of me that's thinking, this is only a five part... How are they going to feel like another two and a bit episodes? Like, how, or how can they wrap it up? I can't remember which of thoughts it was exactly, but there was part of me thinking, I feel like this is going to need another episode at this point. We then see Galvatron and co arrive on Char, with the leader, Galvatron, ready to rally the troops, but obviously is puzzled about the lack of Decepticons being there now. When the sole remaining Decepticon Blitzwing sees Galvatron and I would go so far as to say Andy it's a genuinely touching moment between the two it's just like a really warm almost just a warm moment from a Decepticon point of view of it it's been like utter garbage for ages now they've been down to the dumps and suddenly their leader is back and you could tell Blitzwing is properly touched by this But then attention quickly turns to the fact that that the Decepticons have gone into battle without their leader. And Blitzwing still can't remember the name of the Quintessons at this point. But he knows that they are quote-unquote ancient creatures. That said, Galvatron doesn't care who's taken them because he is their leader. What did you think of that Blitzwing-Galvatron moment?
1: Yeah, it's sort of... It's kind of smart because it's it's not your obvious like they always have to do it because we've had over the course of this series you have whenever the Decepticon a Decepticon's not into something there's usually some kind of treachery afoot or something like that and so I, I feel like this is really like illustrating and underscoring like no this isn't Blitzwing like acting out and being like I don't want to be a Decepticon anymore this is more of a like no something's not right about this situation and I don't trust what's going on here, and so the fact that he's happy to see Galvatron like kind of reinforces like no, nah, he's still he's still in as a Decepticon. He's just not into exactly what is transpiring right now. So it's quite it's quite a smart bit of kind of character work there. Back with the EDC, Captain Marissa Fairborn, she informs
0: Blaster that several metallic objects were hurled towards the Jupiter moon named Io. She heads for the moon, and then we cut to Blur and Wheelie coming to after their huge fall from the sky. But we see they aren't alone, as they are being, I will say, watched over, Andy, by glowing red monsters spitting acid heading towards them. Back on Goo, the Autobots get the idea of trying to shut the force field that's keeping the Goo active off. Smart idea, Autobots. Smart idea when we suddenly see a Quintesson ship above them. And they are attacked by la- lasers from legions, quite frankly, of Decepticons. Including one, Andy, that I noted, looks like a classic Seeker jet, but is all in grey. Also, an Insecticon and a green-coloured shockwave.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that's the point that probably tells you that this is just somebody's picked some random character models that that we've just we've got a green shockwave here and i don't think this is actual shockwave so (laughs) probably best forgotten
0: (laughs) the episode then ends with the quintessons revealing in fact that this is the first step towards both autobots and decepticons coming to their respective ends soon As far as cliffhangers go, Andy, this was another really good one in this story. Just seeing, like, this horde of Decepticons descending upon them with so many lasers and the Autobots basically not being able to move, it was a great visual.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of, you know, it's brought things around in a really interesting way because at the start of this story, you know, you look at where the Decepticons are at and you're like, well who are the Autobots going to fight? Because these guys ain't, ain't got nothing. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, it's quite cheap and easy just to throw Energon at them from a, a third party to get them back up to speed. But it's like, okay, you know, we've come back around to a bit of classic Transformers argy-bargy, but with some very interesting stakes in the background of that as well. So what did you think of part three overall, Andy? Happy with this? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's pretty it's pretty solid. Like, it, it has some good standout moments. Like I say, it's all drip-feeding stuff in really well. I mean, ha- having kind of the main source of peril, be a malevolent vacuum is maybe not the most exciting part of, of this story. But, you know, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, I, I, one thing that impressed me was how this still managed to keep me interested. Because this is the halfway point of the story now. And there's a chance it could really fall apart at this point. But they still managed to add in enough detail to keep you, I'll say, guessing, wandering. Take your pick, if you will. But also just throwing in some random moments like the Galvatron Blitzwing thing. Just something completely out of left field that you weren't expecting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think this episode overall, if you take it just on face value, it's kind of a bit of a dip compared to the first two. But it kind of doesn't matter because it makes sense for this to be sort of a bit of a lull where it just builds up some of the other elements and characters so that it can kind of kick on for the final couple of episodes. So yeah, I feel like it's for, for all of my criticisms of, you know, the, the, the way this story is presented visually, like I think in terms of pacing, like at this point, it's all very solid actually. And from there,
0: we now advance to the five faces of darkness part four. Random interesting note, Andy, that I I made sure to make a note of. During the recap of the previous episode, episode three, they refer to Autobot City slash Metroplex specifically as Autobot City when talking about the transformation cog. They cannot make up their minds at this point, can they?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a particularly weird bit of kind of, uh, I'm not sure whether that's a deliberate trying to get the two conflated in people's heads, so it's like, okay, Autobot City is Metroplex, or whether there was a writing, like, they didn't know what Metroplex's name was for some of the recordings, or, or, or what was going on there, but uh, yeah, that will continue to be a thing as we go. It does make me wonder, just thinking about
0: it now, actually, as we're discussing it, Is it that Autobot City transforms into Metroplex? Kind of like, if you think of it like a combiner. You know, how how they combine into Devastator. Is it more that, but it's just the way that they're referring to it. It's just a bit random and not well said.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's exactly the idea is that Metroplex is the Autobot city that can also transform into a robot or into, like, a big sort of weird vehicle thing because he's kind of a triple changer as well, now I think about it. But, yeah, like, it, it's more the fact that I think because they're ha- they're having to try and tie it into the Autobot city you saw in the movie, which was not a Transformer but did kind of transform, um, like, that's where they're really struggling because you can't suddenly be... I mean, weirdly... I I guess they they didn't allow enough time. It felt like they could almost said, hey, Autobot City was completely totaled by the Decepticon attack. So we built a robot version and it's Metroplex and here he is. Mm. And, you know, the the final piece of Metroplex is the transformation cog that we need to something something, you know, and, and they could have done it that way and it would have been a lot cleaner and easier. But for some reason, they chose this rather contrived way of trying to tie the two things together.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of just how I imagined it, because I, 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 we've said so much in this, in this podcast, so I really can't remember, but I want to say it was in episode one when Perceptor was giving Wheelie and Blur the cog, that they make mention of the fact that the Great Battle did, like, a lot of damage, and this was needed, and I think yeah. I kind of, from that, took it to mean this is, like, a rebuilt Autobot city.
1: Yeah, but then the way they talk about it as as a repair makes it sound that he was Metroplex all along. Like, this feels like it should have been more of a, like, Autobot City completely destroyed, we built a new one, and we just need to make him a Transformer now. But, But hey, we get Metroplex by the end of this, so I'm happy. Exactly.
0: So also, the recap confirms at this point that the planet Goo is the stickiest
1: planet in the universe. I mean that's that's going to look really bad on the tourist brochure. <laughs> I mean that's not gonna that's not gonna sell people on the on the package tour. Also, I had to notice, Andy. Did you take note of what the name
0: of the giant Hoover slash road sweeper was? Was it Henry? <laughs> if only it was <laughs> the elemental processing unit of goo.
1: Yeah, I mean this. <laughs> Pretty, pretty pretty grandiose title for a, a, a malevolent vacuum, but, you know. <laughs> the episode opens
0: up with Rodimus saying that this is the last big party of the summer, and that they should go out with a bang. Which prompts Magnus in the situation to basically go, quote unquote, just once, couldn't your attitude reflect the gravity of the situation? <laughs> the quintesson, Judge Deliberata, is reveling in the fact that that this attack is unfolding, but then is being dragged by Grimlock, who promptly tail whips them, and then says, me Grimlock say shut your faces. (laughs) Great line. (laughs) That's that's
1: some proper Grimlock. See, that's the Grimlock I'm here for.
0: (laughs) As the Decepticons are closing in from the ship above, Galvatron and co. literally appear out of nowhere and begin attacking everyone, including the disloyal Decepticons. Upon realising that Galvatron is there, some Decepticons immediately pledge their loyalty to him. Others are asking what's he going to give them compared to the Quintessons, not mentioned by name because again none of them remember who they are. Galvatron sees the quintesson ship and decides an introduction is in order. Below in the goo, Rodimus realises that the attack has just stopped, and at that point they conveniently reach the goo power generator as I have called it. Magnus continues to give Rodimus a hard time about sloppiness and such, but inside, there is a room filled with junk, and they can hear some incoherent babble coming from a monitor, which turns out Andy to be Rekgar, who apparently is just fine. You know, no mention of what happened to him after his shit was crushed in the movie by Unicron, but sure. And to cut a long story short, they continue talking in TV talk if you will and assistance is requ- is requested retgar is on the case but it was nice to see retgar again and his new voice actor is doing a pretty good
1: job yeah yeah like you know when you compare it to some of the others where the voices are, are not quite the same like you know i mean again sort of talked about ultra magnus being boring like i feel like the voice work is doesn't really help with that whereas retgar yeah like it's kind of nailed like what eric idol does in the film and it's probably the closest kind of one-to-one comparison of like wait did they just get him back did he's just like i want to be a transformer some more um but yeah like it, it really it really works and yeah like retgar's cool I, I i can totally buy into the fact that he was just like he was either fine or he was just rebuilt by some of his buddies after the whole unicron incident it all makes sense it's fine good good to see him back meanwhile marissa fairborn confirms
0: to metroplex I'm not going to label this point anymore, confirms to Metroplex slash Autobot City that she is in Jupiter's magnetic field and manages to find Blur and Wheelie being chased by weird-looking bat things, as I wrote it. Wheelie is overrun by them and ends up giving Blur the cog and then Marissa touches down. Blur then has to decide one of two things, Andy. Save the cog, get on Marissa's ship, or save Wheelie he goes back into the danger zone to help wheelie to which marissa remarks
1: to herself
0: my digital watch is smarter than that <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah they, they, they had smart watches in 2005 so <laughs> a little, little bit ahead of us but not by much <laughs> was that
0: a point like in real
1: life when g-force watches were a thing for a while yeah i mean that was definitely like i remember being very excited just having any kind of like digital watch as a kid like that was all the thing i mean there was a transformers digital watch that i think i had for a hot minute and it didn't didn't last very long (laughs) it was it was not as smart as blur or wheelie as it turns out
0: (laughs) ultimately utilizing a jetpack, marissa ends up going outside of her ship Employing some nifty sharpshooting to say the least, to help out both of the Autobots while shouting towards the enemy, Eat null rays, you bags of protoplasm
1: Another Which great was, one. Also interesting because that that is the same weapon technology as as our, our daily departed friend Starscream had. So like mm. have they like did, did they sift through the ashes of his body and figure out how his guns worked? Like, or is this just a thing? I don't know. But I just find that interesting, like, oh, you've got null Rays, because that's what Starscream uses. Part of me imagines this is one of Wheeljack's long-lost weapons. <laughs> it, well, I, it worked, though, so... I'm yeah, not sure that's
0: <laughs> <laughs> After helping both Autobots, she urges them to get to the ship. But then, her ship is blown up by the Bat-Things. The scene ends with them knowing that pretty much their only chance of getting home now is to first of all see if the radio is still working from the ship. Back with Galvatron. That introduction I was talking a moment ago, Andy, like that you want to have with the Quintessons, this is Galvatron we're
1: talking about.
0: So of course it was just firing a giant laser blast into the ship.
1: I laughed heartily at that. Yeah, he he wasn't exactly going to go around for coffee, so uh, (laughs) yeah, still still on, on brand for Galvatron. He barges in
0: and we see that the Quintessons start trying to barter with Galvatron, who is in a very angry mood. Then one Quintesson, clearly spooked by the situation, makes reference to needing to tell him something. The other two Quintessons basically just say they'll die before telling him. Then we hear the words, Andy, Decepticon Matrix of Leadership. Suffice to say, Galvatron is intrigued and wants to know more, but the Quintessons are in a bargaining mood and say, in addition to letting them live, he must destroy the Autobots on Goo if he wants to know more. Back on that, no, before we get to that, I want to say, Andy, I loved this little thing here, adding in the, the idea of a Decepticon matrix of leadership. It was a fun little twist once again, and it perfectly works on someone like Galvatron.
1: Yeah, yeah, also just smartly kind of written in as like they do just enough to make it clear that like this isn't actually a thing, by the way. Um, we're just doing it to 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 pull the wall over Galvatron's eyes, who, as it turns out, is also not as smart as Marissa Fairbourne's digital watch. Um, <laughs> because he falls for a hook, line, and sinker. Um who are also Transformers at some point. Um, <laughs> but but, um, but yeah, it, it's it, it's a really nice little plot point. And it's, it's been the enjoyable thing about the Quintessons is they've kind of got everybody's number. Um, and, you know, they're not there to do violence. They're there to get everyone else to do their bidding. Um, and it's quite fun watching them just run rings around people you know just with words alone um so yeah this is another little enjoyable kind of addition on top of that back on goo
0: rodimus and magnus are ambushed by an aerial laser attack by galvatron as they are leaving the power station rodimus quickly saving magnus from being hit in the process the autobots begin firing and that's when they realize it's actually galvatron that's attacking them and the fact he is still alive Suddenly, the Autobots are literally sucked into the goo below because Rek'gar is there with a ship sucking down the goo and has collected them. Should be noted, though, that the Quintesson, Judge Deliberata, didn't make it inside and is instead flung into space only to be punched out of the way by Galvatron as he's flying towards the ship. In a fit of rage, Galvatron then literally blows up goo. Andy, I think at this point we need to add something into our bingo card of Galvatron blows up a planet.
1: Yeah, just anybody blows up a planet. I mean that's three gone in this. I mean I mean you'd have thought like the stickiest planet in the world would not blow up that easily because it would just like congeal back together again. But anyway. I'm I I am not a goo planet scientist. So.
0: <laughs> Heading back to the ship, Galvatron rants at the Quintessons, who counter with the fact that they would be powerful allies. Galvatron demands to know why the Quintessons haven't destroyed the Autobots themselves, and they explain that the Autobots have been made unpredictable by their interactions with the humans. Sneering at the Quintessons' fear of the flesh creatures, Galvatron agrees to an an alliance with the Quintessons. The Decepticons cry, Hail Galvatron! To affirm their support, to, to affirm their support, excuse me, of the leader. And even the Quintessons get a shout out in the process too. On the planet of Junk, which I'll be honest, Andy, I forgot was even a thing at this point because we've been to so many places in the in this story. Rek'gar restores Springer to life by basically reversing the process from when he was hoovered up, much to RC's delight. So in terms now of Rek'gar basically saving and rebuilding Autobots you can now count this as two since he has been introduced into the
1: continuity of Transformers indeed and and let's also talk briefly about the love triangle here because I mean <laughs> RC and Hot Rod there was clearly like a bit of a Hot Rod I feel like had a bit of a thing for RC but RC seems to be into Springer and I don't think we're gonna have like a, a, a any kind of like romantic drama in Transformers season 3 but there's there's something going on there I just just want to point that out well let's talk about what happens next <laughs> yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean off the back of this it makes all, all the more sense doesn't it really but anyway
0: so RC is with Springer and is walking towards Rodimus who is just sat on a rock looking despondent and RC says Rodimus look who's back and Rodimus just responds with yeah, good to have you back, Springer. <laughs> to which Springer says, well, don't let your
1: enthusiasm overwhelm you. <laughs> Just, what the heck, Andy? <laughs> yeah, Rodimus. Rodimus has got stuff on his mind. He's, You know, he's, he's got things to think about. So,
0: he has questions about the Quintessons and about their hostility towards the Autobots, and also that, also about the fact of how do they know so much about them? and about their intentions. Rodimus has now become convinced that the answers to all of these questions are in the matrix of leadership, but he still doesn't know how to consult like just all of the the wealth of knowledge that's inside this matrix. Springer then makes a sarcastic suggestion, let's say Andy, that maybe he should just come close to death again, given that's how he got to there before. And although RC says not to do that, Springer assures her, Rodimus isn't as stupid as he looks, is he? He ain't gonna do that. And then Rodimus wanders off and for the first time this season, I've noted Andy, we actually see see the Matrix in Rodimus's chest, because he opened up his chest plate. And what does he do? He
1: short-circuits himself and falls unconscious. Yeah, I, I mean, talk about the tone of this series thus far and this story like yeah we've had a bunch of mentions of death but suddenly we have Autobot leader commit suicide (laughs) on camera and it's like okay we're, we're, we're doing this are we all right so Rodimus
0: as I've put it Andy is now in sleep mode and enters the matrix once again except this time rather than visions let's say It's his consciousness that is actually traveling through it. He is greeted by a hologram-like presence of an old Transformer who says, quote-unquote, Rodimus Prime, you have embarked on a journey into Cybertron's distant past. Prepare to look into the face of your creator. And who shows up? The creator of the Transformers, the Quintessons. The plot hole is finally revealed. The old man goes on to say... Quote, "...eons ago, Cybertron was a factory built by the Quintessons to manufacture robots. There were two product lines, military hardware and consumer goods. These two product lines were the lineal ancestors of the Decepticons and the Autobots." He continues that, quote, "...in time the Quintessons endowed their products with simulated intelligence. Now the machines could manufacture themselves." And before long, they grew too lazy and greedy to barter even with that. There were simpler ways to wring out performances from their slaves. End quote. As I've now put it, Andy, the way they did that was murder. (laughs) Because we literally see a Quintesson killing a factory worker, literally scooping it up with a giant shovel, and then just chucking it into a vat to be recycled.
1: Yep, classic, classic slavery subplot here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Then we begin to see robots fighting, Gladiator Arena style, and then we hear a voice say, quote, The Quintessons also used robots to entertain them. Machine was pitted against machine, gladiatorial combat. Some, however, found this pointless combat repellent and sought to put a stop to it, end quote. We then see a robot literally killed as he tries to rebel. The voice continues, quote, We failed, but the seeds of revolt had been planted and would one day yield a terrible harvest. End quote. We then see a building get destroyed on screen. The voice continues, quote, What the Quintessons failed to grasp was that their robots had developed emotions. That knew and felt the difference between freedom and slavery. And that oversight sealed their fate. End quote. We then see some ships leaving and then we get a glimpse of Cybertron after that time. Quote. For a time, the robots lived in harmony, but that did not last. The former consumer goods who called themselves Autobots sought a peaceful existence. Quote. Random note, Andy, from me here, just to break into this. I did have a note here saying that there was a nice callback to the Galactic Games from the first episode in this because they actually showed an Autobot doing a pole vault. So it actually demonstrates this was actually proper deep Transformers lore here.
1: This whole Olympic Games type thing. Hmm. Do do, do you reckon the pole vault pole was actually a Transformer itself that can just like has a robot mode and they can just like yeah, it's just like the Junkions, they can just like, you know, Trans transform between Jumpy and Pole.
0: <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the voice continues, quote, While the military hardware wanted conquest and they got their way, end quote. During this moment, we see a robot who looks very similar to Rodimus Prime, it's got to be said, Andy, getting shot, handing the Matrix to another Autobot. A new voice continues, Quote, for centuries, they tyrannized the Autobots. Knowing we can never defeat the Decepticons with firepower, we turned to stealth and invented the art of transforming. End quote. The voice then continues, quote, The Autobots ruled for many centuries, but in time, the Decepticons also learned how to transform. This one fateful night, far below the city, Megatron was born. End quote and then we see him shoot Andy, who someone that turned out to be the Autobot leader. At this point, we hear some familiar dulcet tones of one Optimus Prime saying the following, quote, The Matrix was passed on to Alpha Trion, the oldest of Autobots, who kept it safely hidden for many years until the next Autobot leader appeared, a gentle robot known as Orion Pax, who was fated to become, and at this point Rodimus kills the moment and jumps in saying, Optimus Prime! (laughs) Optimus's voice continues, and so began the third Cybertronian war, which rages to this day. Rodimus then adds, and the Quintessons are our creators. Optimus then continues, for all these centuries, they have waited for the proper moment to strike, to reclaim the planet we Transformers took from them. Rodimus then adds, and now they're going for gusto, right? Optimus responds with, do not forget what you've learned of our past, Rodimus. From its lessons, the future is forged. Optimus then disappears, and the next thing we see is Springer saying, well, standing next to RC, are you crazy? Why did you short circuit yourself? Wake up, you you moron. <laughs> Rodimus then says, it was the only way into the Matrix. <laughs> Springer then says to Arcee, I was wrong, he is as dumb as he looks. (laughs) And Arcee, shocked, just responds with, Springer! (laughs) Rodimus, dismissing their concerns, tells them that they need to get to Cybertron as soon as possible. This whole backstory sequence, Andy, which I've read pretty much verbatim, or tried to anyway, It was genuinely super captivating the way they did this and we got so much deep lore here and it was just really, really cool to see and the fact that they got Optimus' voice in there as well was actually a really nice touch to end it with.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I do have a question. Do you reckon this was also a deleted scene on that laser disc they had on Cybertron back in whenever it was? Was that in season <laughs> two where we got the history of the Transformers? Like, did they did they just hit the chapter skip button and not start at the very beginning? Oh, in, a,
0: in Desertion of the Dinobots? Like yeah, yeah,
1: good. Yeah, we had the whole history of the Transformers. They just failed to mention the whole bit where they were made by the Quintessons. <laughs> it's almost as if they had to like retroactively fit this into the the, the law. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah maybe this is, maybe
0: this was like the the, the the I don't know the director's
1: cut. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the the Schneider cut of the Transformers. There you go. But sorry, sorry. continue. Um, but yeah, no, j- joking aside, yeah, this this is this is really well done. Again, I'm a sucker for this kind of like you know vision quest thing it's kind of smart the way it goes through a whole bunch of various autobot leaders and generations leading into that point you kind of think like oh are they going to get optimus prime to be part of this surely they are and then there he is and it's like hey it's peter cullen again um that's cool um so yeah yeah I, i really like the way it plays all of this out like you know i have i have mixed feelings on the idea of like the Quintessons as the transformers creator um but this is this is a pretty good like bit of of storytelling and yeah it it goes it goes deep on it it goes quite hard on it um when they said Megatron was born I was hoping we'd get a little baby Megatron and just (laughs) like in 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 a nappy and just be like ah um but we didn't um but that aside now this is this this was really good and and really you know well really well presented you know again having talked about the stuff that is not very well presented in these episodes this was actually you know solidly done Um, and was kind of quite compelling, uh, to, to, to watch through and, and see, see the, the history unfold. So yeah, this, this, is real good.
0: Near Cybertron on a meteor with a base built on it, Galvatron and the Quintessons plot their strategy. They will attack on two fronts simultaneously, Autobot city and Cybertron. On earth, the Constructicons are making changes to a human city. Then we hear the phrase from a Constructicon. Constructicons to Galvatron. Trypticon is ready. Yeah. At dawn, they activate a transformation sequence and the city begins to change as the humans flee out of the city, evacuating as fast as they can and the dust settles to the ground. In the place of the city now stands Trypticon. And we hear the line of dialogue Triptychon lives! (laughs) This was so cool, Andy. The way I had no... I genuinely either forgot or didn't know Triptychon is a freaking human city. That is such a cool twist.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean it's like as much as I owned the Metroplex toy as a kid and will always be a booster for Metroplex, I hate to admit it but Triptychon is cooler because he's also a city, but he transforms into a dinosaur and it's like <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty awesome. I, I feel like he's one of those toys like I never I never saw a Triptychon toy anywhere in the UK. I feel like we didn't M- please write in if you lived in the UK and you owned a Tripticon so that I can be upset at you for the rest of my days. Um, but, like, I, I never saw one, and it was always one of those, like, ah, I'm, I'm happy I've got Metroplex, but it's a city that turns into a dinosaur. Why could I not have that one?
0: <laughs> On Cybertron, an Earth Defense Command ship requests emergency landing clearance. We see Cup, Perceptor, and Cosmos, Andy, Cosmos! He's in Season 3! He made it!
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it makes you wonder what he was doing during the film, but yeah, you know, anyway. <laughs> he was clearly somewhere else in the galaxy at that point. Clearly, yeah, was probably just <laughs> tripping over some energon somewhere.
0: <laughs> so they they pick up this transmission. Perceptor warns Cup that it might be a trick, but Cup refuses even the thought of just letting an innocent ship of civilians perish. So gives them clearance to land, but the ship changes course and then crash lands into Cybertron's central power facility, shutting down the planet's defences. Storming from the Quintesson ships, Galvatron leads the Decepticons into attack on Cybertron. The Meteor, with the Quintessons inside, they are very pleased with themselves, to say the least. For soon the Autobots will be destroyed, and then they will deal with the Decepticons accordingly a quintesson then says as the episode concludes andy soon very soon cybertron will be ours again another great episode andy this it's escalating it's really getting that and now we know we are reaching the climax of this story and i love the way this is built up and all the deep lore we got in episode four
1: yeah, yeah, all the lore is great i mean i really like even just that ending point where you know cup is like we can't let a human come to harm we're just gonna have to take the risk and let's let this ship through like it's a really it it, it works really well on both levels both in terms of the quintessons like having the autobots number in terms of how they'll behave and also autobots doing autobot stuff and being like no we you know we, we have to go we have to take the risk and try and protect people and that's like it's a a really it's a really smart little way of kind of ending that particular plot point and getting us to the sort of the invasion point where we're at at the end of this episode
0: so from there andy it's been a long road to get here today but we are now here it is time to talk about the concluding part of this story five faces of darkness part five Prepare Autobots to die in darkness, shouts Galvatron, flying above Cybertron with his followers behind him. Magnus, Rodimus, Cup, Springer, and Spike are in a control room. The Decepticons are just starting to attack Autobots on Cybertron, and the initial attack took out the whole defense system. Ultra Magnus tells the others to go while he holds the others off. Rodimus Prime says that Magnus' courage will be remembered unsaid is the possibility that there will be no one to remember it <laughs> from their ship the quintessons calculate it will take less than a day to completely defeat the autobots after all they have given galvatron worth something worth fighting for excuse me on earth the decepticons trypticon heads towards autobot headquarters quote then bam let's prepare the ambush says warpath as he is is told the location of Trypticon.
1: or as they called it, Andy, the Battle Platform, which I felt was quite a weird phrase. That was maybe in the same vein as Autobot City and Metroplex. (laughs) They maybe didn't quite have the name ready at that point. The debuting Transformer, Andy, Pipes.
0: You know, could they not come with a better name for him than that? You know,
1: Pipes. Yeah, because weirdly, I think, like, Pipes was like one of the original like G1 mini bots that just never got into the cartoon, and because <laughs> they killed all the other original mini bots, they're like, "Well, I guess we'll have the the the, the color palette swapped Huffer to, to take to take a role in this episode." But I was weirdly excited to see Pipes because it's like I didn't think Pipes ever turned up in the cartoon. Also, <laughs> oh, I just kind of like saying Pipes. So I'm just gonna say Pipes a lot. <laughs>
0: So Pipes and Warpath lead a counter-offensive, but their efforts, their efforts are stymed when Tryptocon, well sorry, at this point, Tryptocon becomes Tryptocon, it should be said. Warpath then needs to alert Metroplex, because as stated Andy, they cannot make up their mind on this name at this point. They just can't. At Autobot City slash Metroplex, Blaster is trying to get hold of Cybertron and makes it known that the cog is still on IO, but he's hoping that Skylink's will be there soon. Then the Quintessons appear on screen because, Andy, they seemingly just hacked in to the transmission at Autobot City, so I guess that the transformation cog is also some kind of, I don't know, VPN or something, so they can't hack into it
1: yeah yeah i I mean well yeah i guess the the quint. now now we know the quintessons created the transformers i guess it's like you know they can do whatever they like when it's suitable to the plot so here we go but do do you think at this point like they're sitting there thinking you know what we should have just used space fedex for this cog like we really we really messed up here we should have just paid the courier to amazon prime it to us (laughs) then we get a quote from one of the quintessence which got me very excited andy
0: we shall see how your skylinks fares against the predacons because andy i won't lie i forgot the predacons were even a thing and as soon as i heard that i thought oh wait a minute i think i remember really liking what i saw of the predacons which wasn't a lot but i remembered really liking
1: them and i was excited yeah, the Predacons are cool. I mean, th- this was the point that made me realise that we're once again having a moment where all these characters are being thrown in with no introduction. Like, I mean, pipes aside, because pipes, <laughs> just say one more time, pipes. Um, but like, you know, I mean... Trypticon's kind of a big deal. and I mean, he gets a bit of an intro, but there's not, like, you know, where where how was he created? Where did he come from? Like, Metroplex kind of likewise, you know, they just had to, like, ram him into the Autobot City thing. But suddenly, just name check, like, Skylinks. Like, who the heck is Skylinks? And then the Predacons. There's an entire new combiner team that we know nothing about. And, you know, they have a big line on their chest, so surely we should know something about these guys. Um, and, yeah, we, we're just at that point that kind of similar to season two point of all these new transformers just being thrown at the wall um but at the same time it is kind of fun when they're kind of awesome so
0: i will say trypticon has far more of an origin story than even the protector
1: bots do at least you know
0: the constructicons built them from a human city
1: yeah, yeah. There's there's at least something there, but uh, a yeah. and again, like, you know, Skylinks is such like as, as I say, I, my memory is that Skylinks becomes like the new Omega Supreme of just he's the space shuttle of choice. But, you know, <laughs> we don't really get where's he come from? I don't know. He's just there he is Skylinks, cool. <laughs> then we hear Blaster
0: say to Skylinks in a transmission, "Yo, Skylinks, beware of Square. Something
1: called Predacons coming at you." See, even he doesn't know who they are. Like I don't know. They're called the Predacons. I don't know. How bad can it be? Now, at this
0: point, it should be noted we are seeing Skylink's fly in jet mode through, like, a debris of stuff in space as he is, he is approaching IO. Marissa is told by Blaster that Skylink's is on the way, to which... She says, what's a Sky <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bl- she's, not, she's not seen the toy catalogue either. She's like, <laughs> what? I don't know. To which, helpfully, Blaster responds with,
1: he's hard to describe, but he'll be there soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't know. I've, I've not seen this footage when I'm recording my dialogue, so I don't <laughs> ask me to describe him. I mean, I was really disappointed in, like, well, he's like a Lynx, but in the sky. I, I don't know. <laughs> So during this continuing battle that, that
0: Marissa, Wheelie and Blur are having, it should be noted that the cog gets knocked out of Wheelie's hand and disappears. Oops. You know, important plot point there. Back at Autobot HQ, and by Autobot HQ, Andy, I mean the
1: Ark. Like, yep. we're going old school here now. Yeah, I mean, that that's a whole weird thing of like, how come that's still... I could, because... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> was was the Ark not the space shuttle that we've seen being like flown around during the movie? Like, had they not? Because I was assumed that they'd like extracted that. Sp- I guess it's just like it's like a Boeing seven three seven. They all look the same. Mm. But like the space shuttle that gets attacked by the Decepticons in the movie looks a lot like the Ark. I'm just now you mention it, it does. But
0: I think also there were many Ark-looking ships though on Cybertron. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would make sense that it's just generic, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, why did they just leave that there, complete with teletran? Um, it's, <laughs> it's very strange. Anyway. So,
0: a group of Autobots are attempting to hold off Trypticon until the cog arrives. Now, there is a cool moment when Pipe says, quote unquote, uh, to his colleagues, as Optimus Prime used to say, transform and roll out. And Andy, if there was ever a foreshadowing for what's about to happen next, <laughs> it was that line.
1: Yeah, yeah, ble- b- bless you Pipes for being <laughs> there and remembering that.
0: The cons are watching on, but elect not to get involved, because, as they put it, Andy, they're superfluous in this. <laughs> the Autobots are not having a good time trying to stop Trypticon. They are getting owned. Warpath then orders Teletran-1 to activate the defence systems... You thought he might have done that sooner. Just saying, but Tripticon causes the volcano that the ark is lodged in to collapse, destroying it. Autobot HQ is no more.
1: It's yeah. it's gone. Yeah, we, we we now have to retire. That does Teletran One get damaged on the bingo card because <laughs> Teletran One is gone obliterated no more it has been damaged for the last time <laughs> with his task com- i won't lie and it's actually a bit sad actually Autobot hq is gone i'm never gonna get to say that again now it's quite sad it is i mean i mean yeah what what's laserbeak doing these days Where's not gonna have <laughs> he supposed to infiltrate a moon base based on the movie <laughs> with his task
0: complete trypticon now heads to his next target Autobot City slash Metroplex slash, as I've written down, because they still can't flip and decide what they're calling it. Back on Cybertron, Magnus is doing his best to hold off the flurry of lasers being pelted at him, but literally in the process, Andy, punches two Seeker jets out of the sky, making them explode.
1: Have they just died? Maybe. I mean, I know. maybe they get turned into sweeps, who knows? <laughs> Then Magnus
0: says the words, we meet again. And in front of him, we see Galvatron. Galvatron says, why do you not flee? Did our last encounter teach you nothing? (laughs) But then Galvatron basically goes, I don't have time for you. And then makes haste to continue his conquest of Cybertron. So that's how important this battle is to Galvatron, Andy.
1: yeah yeah I, it's, it, I i quite like that actually i mean again it's th- that's one place where it's sort of quite at odds with like the comics where it, it, it the ultra magnus v galvatron thing becomes like you know recurring beef whereas here is just like ah, blew bleed to pieces last time you're not really that important <laughs> also you're kind of boring so i'm just gonna go do something else we then see a cool sequence where Perceptor and the
0: aerial bots are basically getting the better of Cyclonus and the Sweeps. Really fun moment. But meanwhile, Galvatron orders Blitzwing to give a status report to the Quintessons. But upon arrival, Blitzwing overhears the Quintessons say that they don't have the Decepticon Matrix because it doesn't exist, quote-unquote. What's worse is that they actually want the Sharktacons to pull a large switch deep in the bowels of Cybertron that will deactivate Transformers all over the galaxy.
1: <laughs> I, I love this, that after all that, apparently the Transformers just had an on-off switch. <laughs> it's it like, oh, okay. That's. I mean, th- th- this feels like the moment where we get into the classic Transformers cartoon You've bitten off more than you can chew, and you've got like ten minutes left to resolve all these plot threads. Exactly, things accelerate level. pretty quickly, and this is a big moment of just like, no, just press the button, press the t- press the off switch <laughs> on the transformers. Yeah. It's like, oh. Is that it? Okay. Exactly. Yeah, I thought what we. I thought. I, I thought we were going to go to like back to Vector Sigma or something and like do something weird there, but no, no, just just press the off button. I'll be honest, because they mentioned Alpha Trial in the last episode, but we never actually heard from. Them, I thought we're going to get a random Alpha Tron Vector Sigma cameo because that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about all these other bits of deep lore that I thought they might have gone with, but yeah, this feels very much like a. Uh oh, we're running out of time here. <laughs> Suffice to say, Blit- Blitzwing
0: makes haste to update Galvatron. Now, on IO, on IO, sorry, not IO, because that's something different. On IO, Skylink's hurries to rescue Wheelie, Blur, and Marissa Fairborn from certain deaths of, of the, those red bat-looking native things that I keep mentioning. This is when we get our first glimpse of Skylink's transforming, Andy. And holy crap, is it damn cool. It look, just looks such, just so, so cool. However, the Predacons arrive to steal the transformation cog intended for Metroplex. Initially, the Predacons turn out, you could argue, to be a bit of all bark with no bite, as it were. But there are some really cool action sequences amongst all of this. But then, Andy, they merge into Predaking and managed to disorient Wheelie, Blur, and Marissa. However, Skylink's attacks Predaking and causes him to separate. And the Predacons retreat, not that all of them wanted to, mind you, because it was only Razorclaw, specifically name-checked, that was running away. Andy. Andy. I need to say this. You've just introduced a really cool batch of Transformers called the Predacons. You've shown them in their combined form that would look proper badass as a combined toy. And the first thing you do is make them just get swatted away effectively in one foul swoop. What the heck?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess they really wanted to promote the Skylink's toy. Which, hey, to be fair, he transforms into two things at the same time. <laughs> That's pretty cool as well. But yeah, I mean, we, we we will get plenty more Predacons in season three, so I guess it's fine. But yeah, it's 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 that forever fascinating thing about this show, where you know you have this big new thing that you introduce and be like, look at how cool this is, and then just see summarily get defeated by something that is kind of less cool. Skylink then orders Marissa and the
0: two Transformers to board. And in the process of doing this, Andy, Wheelie discovers the cog by literally tripping on it.
1: Yeah, again, I, I stand by my the new cosmos of season three <laughs> is Wheelie, because yeah, like he dropped the thing and now he just falls over it. On Earth, Triptychon has arrived at Autobot
0: City, and Skylink is entering the Earth's atmosphere. The Constructorcons finally decide Andy to try and be a little bit useful, causing a distraction for Skylinks. Uh, sorry, causing a distraction before Skylinks is hit by a laser from Tripticon. We then get a kind of fun American football t- type scenario here, where they're basically using this really important transformation cog, Andy, as an American football. It, sure, I'm not going to question it. Whatever. They're trying to avoid Decepticons while trying to get to Autobot City. But Wheelie is eventually able to get the cog to Pipes, who then installs it into Autobot City slash Metroplex. And finally, Andy, what we've been building to from this naming confusion, Metroplex comes online and transforms.
1: Yeah, yeah. Autobot City transforms. Oh wait, no. Yeah, Metro definitely <laughs> Metroplex now transforms. Yeah, the, the 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 toy that I knew and knew knew and loved. There there he is in all his glory. And then we get a quick battle between Metroplex and
0: Trypticon. Holy heck, Andy! This was good fun. Metroplex yep. saying a fantastic line: "This planet's not big enough for the both of us." <laughs> and then Trypticon yeah, responds simply just by saying. Crush Metroplex!
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is a good retort, but yeah, like that's that—that's definitely like the, the sales pitch line of just like, you've got to make it clear these toys are really big. Uh, and it's like, yep, there you go. jump done. I mean, it's
0: emphasised more because the battle actually kind of extends into another city nearby, which conveniently everyone's managed to evacuate from. And then finally, Metroplex manages to overwhelm Trypticon and throws Trypticon Andy the best way i can describe this launches him in the or launches it in the air quite frankly it kind of goes whirling around some mountain ledges and ends up in the sea short circuiting
1: yeah uh, apparently they didn't like waterproof Trypticon, i guess <laughs> bit of an oversight on the constructicon's part that they didn't think maybe this giant kaiju monster city thing we've built might make contact with water at some point maybe it'll rain on the city at some point
0: (laughs) i mean andy the constructor cons at this point were superfluous
1: well yeah (laughs) i mean as with good reason as it turns (laughs) out Uh,
0: again this is just another example where i'm thinking you you, do you want to sell this toy what are you doing (laughs) you've just buried it (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, and it's, like, I kind of get it's difficult to do because you have to, like, end the battle in a comprehensive way. But, yeah, like, having... It's almost why you can see you had the the fact that, like, the Decepticons retreating became an in-joke because it's, like, you can't have, like, a definitive victory of like, oh, the Autobots have overpowered them and won. You've got to have a reason for them to retreat and live to fight another day because then, you know, it kind of suggests some kind of equivalence between them. But when you get into those scenarios where they can't really do that, it always feels like a bit of a like, oh, you've just, you know, it, it gets a bit like wrestling where you've just got to you've got to decide who, who you're going to like big up and who's going to just look really wimpy. Mm. Also, shout out to Blaster for the line at the end
0: of this battle of Yes, sir, Metroplex is my kind of town. (laughs) Great little line there. Back in space, Blitzwing tries to tell Galvatron what has happened, but suffice to say, Galvatron is just a bit loopy at this point and just beats him up. (laughs) Blitzwing realises that there is only one other option to resolve all of this. Side with the Autobots to stop the Quintessons. He then kind of ends up in front of some of the Autobots and says, Autobots, don't shoot, I beg you, listen, we are all of us in grave peril. Somewhere in the depths of Cybertron, a commando team of Sharktacons is about to unleash a force that will destroy us all. And we see, said commandos, breaking in through some doors as that is being said. Blitzwing, Rodimus Prime, and Spike then manage to catch up to the Sharktacons pretty freaking quickly, it's got to be said. And then they basically just stop them. And we get a fun little dialogue exchange here, Andy. Rodimus saying to to Blitzwing, could I interest you in changing sides? To which Blitzwing says, you have my respect, but I could never. Then Galvatron walks in and attacks them all. (laughs) But Galvatron, thinking that the Switch that was, you know, is gonna stop all the Transformers, is the Decepticon Matrix, pulls the lever, then we see Transformers on both Cybertron and Earth simply stop. It's almost like they've got a sheet of ice over them or something, the way they've animated this. With the Transformers offline, the Quintessons land on Cybertron. They are delighted to be home, it's gotta be said. But the one thing they didn't count on, Andy... Spike. <laughs> Spike Witwicky. He somehow grabs Rodimus's gun out of his hand, puts it on his shoulder like it's a bazooka, and then says, Sorry, Quince, you blew it. And then shoots the gun, and it destroys the console where the lever was, reactivating all of the Transformers, including an incredibly angry Galvatron who starts chasing the Quintessons as he shouts, quote-unquote, Deceivers! Betrayers! Five-faced slimes of the Nebula! I will rip your tentacles from! And then the escape pod launches. (laughs) (laughs) Because the Quintessons, Andy, know many secrets of Cybertron, so that's how they knew where an escape pod was. This was... Just this little bit, Andy, this was wild, and I loved it so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, this This is definitely where it, this feels like it should have probably taken way longer than it, it did like this. This was absolutely where I was like, oh, this is the traditional Rushed Transformers episode ending because, you know, you've got this switch that holds this enormous power and it just gets flipped on and off like somebody playing with their light switch in like 30 seconds. Because, you know, it, I, I kind of like what it does because you kind of think, oh, okay, they're not actually. Nobody's gonna actually flip the switch. Then we're gonna get to the point where it gets stopped before it hits that point. And then of course Galvatron just comes in and is just like, "Oh, well, I'm gonna press the button because this is clearly like the Decepticon Matrix." You're like, "Oh, oh no, they've done it." And then of course you remember like, "Oh, Spike's around and Spike loves firing Autobot guns. Like he's done it numerous times, and this time with with some value to it." Um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's a good little bunch of twists and turns. Um, I just wish it's one of those things where I wish it had a bit longer to sell it on like they're screwed. Like, you know, all the all the Transformers have stopped. The Quintessons are just rolling in. It would have even just to have had a couple more minutes of them savoring their victory and, you know, let us chuckle again. Or something, <laughs> and then you know, Spike blasts the thing, and it, it all goes south for them. But it has to just kind of skip that part and just be like, "Yep, they've won." No, they haven't. There we go, job done.
0: Yeah, I kind of almost wish it may have been a case that like Spike is there and he's trying to figure out what he could do, and maybe that's yeah. when he tried to secretly like just remove the gun from Rodimus's hand or something. They they could have played it up more. But as you mentioned, then we but obviously both know at this point. We could tell that they were rushing to end this.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, they do a pretty good job with with what they've got. So you know, not 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 one of the worst endings for a Transformers episode ever by by any stretch. Hmm. But there's more, Andy, but there is because more. Galvatron then prepares to
0: fight Rodimus, but Blitzwing pulls his weapon on Galvatron, telling him that this has to end. Galvatron then says you will never be welcomed in the ranks of the Decepticons again. Blitzwing responds with, sometimes it's better to be known for one's enemies. Galvatron then says, you will suffer for this Blitzwing. You will suffer unimaginably. Then, Galvatron just basically says, Blitzwing is banished from the Decepticons, and orders the Decepticons to retreat. The episode then ends With the following speech, Andy, from one Rodimus Prime, our fearless leader, who's going to inspire us to the next part of our journey and what lies ahead. What rallying cry could he possibly come up with at this stage of this five-part story, Andy? The following, quote-unquote. Autobots, this is an uneasy victory we have won. We now know that the Decepticons are not our only foes. That another, more dangerous race of beings also plots our destruction. Our universe will never be the same again. We Transformers have looked into the face of our creators and seen the face of an enemy. And the episode ends. It's like, oh, okay, Rodimus, you know.
1: Nice rallying cry there, you know. (laughs) i mean better better than his speech at the space olympics at least (laughs) so you know it's improved improved somewhat i my biggest disappointment with that is i thought they were gonna weave the the episode title into that speech and be like we've seen the five faces of darkness it's like come on you had one job you (laughs) could have done that but no we we don't we don't even get that
0: but that is how the episode ends and andy aside from kind of the rushed ending aside I thought it was a really good conclusion to the story. The whole Blitzwing being exiled from the Decepticons thing was a really nice twist that I genuinely forgot was even a thing in the story of Transformers. And just overall, so much has happened in this five part story, but I, I loved I love this entire story. It's so good.
1: Yeah, like it's it's actually been been really helpful for me to talk it through on this podcast because I feel like. The, the culture shock of the animation change made it harder for me to focus on the narrative stuff than I, I otherwise would have done. Um, and again, especially coming off of the movie, it was like, oof, this is this is kind of rough to watch in a lot of ways. Um, but when you actually dig in beneath that and actually look at the, the story beats of it and what it's doing yeah it's pretty good like i still think the whole transforming cog and metroplex trypticon thing that should have been its own episode like i think that would have been a really good single episode where you introduce trypticon you introduce metroplex why they've been built and you have the transforming cog thing as like you know the underlying story of all of that because that, that just felt like the C tier storyline that just sort of, you know, was just kind of there as an excuse for the other stuff. That should have been its own thing. And then they could have let the rest of it breathe a little bit more. Um, but yeah, like all the stuff, you know, like I say, not necessarily personally a big fan of the whole Quintessons created the Transformers thing as a story point, but I think it's put across in a pretty compelling way here. And it's an interesting storyline. I love a lot of the stuff. A lot of the ground that this story has set for what I hope will be the rest of the season in terms of like Rodimus Prime and Galvatron and what they're all about. Um, And so, yeah, like this is you can see why this is the opener to the the series. You can see why it's a five parter um, and it's cool that they gave it that time and attention in terms of the story, even if the animation didn't quite live up to that. So,
0: from there, Andy, normally what we would do at this point is we would go over some trivia notes from, like, the episodes and such, but given how long we've been going on this recording, I'm gonna sort of belay that maybe until the start of our next podcast that we do, just to touch on a few notes, but I will say one trivia note, because I think this kind of helps, in a way, tie up a loose end that we actually talked about on the the Transformers the Movie podcast last time. In an interview with Flint Dilly, he said that the Quintesson's origin story came from The Secret of Cybertron, the aborted script for the movie that him and fellow writer Jay Bacall had written in place of the other one we were talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that that does kind of add up, That you know, because the, the Quintesson sort of part in Transformers the Movie is sort of a weird aside to a lot of other stuff. It's like, why is that part of the film even there, if you really think about it? Because, you know, the, the whole junkie on part sort of ties into like the big final battle in a bunch of ways the quintessence stuff kind of doesn't really beyond throwing wheelie into the mix and like it it doesn't really matter um (laughs) um but yeah like you know when you think about it that way and you think about that these episodes as an extension of that side of the movie in a sense it makes a whole lot more sense
0: Yeah, so from there, everyone, like I say, we are going to draw this particular podcast to a close today, just because... From our point of view, everyone, we've been recording a long time, to say the least, so we, uh, we need to wrap this up. But thank you very much for listening and or watching if you have been checking out the YouTube version, which if you would like to sample that version and you've been listening to the audio-only version on the likes of Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud and such, simply go onto YouTube and search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast and you should find our channel there just fine. If you would like to hit us up on Twitter or Instagram, our username is at Starscream's Pod. Or if you'd like to drop us an email, you can do so on starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. Andy, next time we are going to be talking about four episodes, we've decided, haven't we? Because we're going in hard on this now, Andy. We've done the movie podcast, we've done the five parts, and now we're going down to four episodes for next week.
1: Yeah, yeah, this this, this will be the last kind of elongated one, because after that it's going to be three episodes all the way. So, uh, you know, we, we just... We're, you can see the brow of the hill of, of, of this series. <laughs> but uh, anything else you would like to
0: impart upon everyone before we wrap up for this edition of the podcast?
1: No, no, I don't uh, I don't think so. It's been much like kind of season two. You know, I kind of came into the, the start of this season with a mixture of kind of trepidation and fascination of what I was going to find. And some of my trepidation was justified in terms of how these episodes looked as was some of my fascination of the direction that this series is going in. And this Five Faces of Darkness, I don't think I've ever watched it, as I mentioned, but I knew what happened, or the broad strokes of what happened in this story. I'm kind of excited for the next batch of episodes because I think I know nothing about them. Like the, the, Barring like a couple of episodes to come, I don't think there are really many that I know a whole lot about. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see where we move on to from here in terms of you know the tone and what we're doing with the characters so uh, yeah br- bring it on bring on more transformers i
0: agree I- i'm very in the dark as well on a lot of what happens in season three like the odd bit here and there i'm aware of but like you say got no idea myself really so very interested to see how things progress in the coming weeks And with that being said, everybody, this is where we draw the podcast to a close for today. Thank you very much for joining us. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Bye,
2: everyone.